Hi, I'm Kyle. And I'm Trevor. And welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. Uh, If you're not familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein myself and Kyle take turns introducing each other to movies. uh, And in this way, we catch up on our cinema. Uh, So it is the month of March, and we're doing a little event on the show we're calling Moving on March. And basically what that is, is uh, the movies we select this month will spotlight um, either actors or directors or people involved in the film industry who have passed away recently. Uh, We're going to highlight some of their their work that we may have missed out on, or uh, in this case, um, some of the work that uh, we'd like to share with each other. Um, So last week, Kyle had the pick, which means I'm up. Uh, and the film I selected for this week uh, is uh, Walt Disney's uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea from 1954. Uh, this is, of course, based on the Jules Verne novel. Uh, I don't know when that was written, but it's directed by a gentleman by the name of Richard Fleischer. And I'm just going to take a cursory glance Soylent at the Green. here. Soylent Green is the one that uh, sticks out to me. One that I've been wanting to watch, actually. Uh, yeah, I'm... I am not familiar with this guy, and this is going to actually be a, a recurring theme in, in this review of this film, is that I love this movie, I was raised on this movie, I was raised on the dairy, <laughs> um, but I have no particular attachment to any of the people involved in the making of it. I'm not I'm not a like a connoisseur of classic cinema, like classic Hollywood cinema in particular. Yeah. So so like big heavy hitters like Peter Laurie, for me it's like he's the guy from Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea, not, you know, the guy from like the Maltese Falcon and all that other stuff. And even Kirk Douglas, like to me, he's the guy from this movie, not from a whole host of other movies that are far more famous and impactful in the grand scheme. But I mean, just taking a cursory glance at this guy's filmography, this Richard Fleischer, um, he's got some big ones. Man. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, the Vikings is another Kirk Douglas movie I know of. That's um, actually on my list now. I like Kirk Douglas. I'm, gonna, I'm going through some of his old movies. I do, too, and I'd very much like to explore his filmography as well. And, uh, of course, if you're not aware, uh, Kirk Douglas recently passed away, which is like served as the prompt for me selecting this movie for the show um, not only that just because it's a it's a beloved film from my childhood um but yeah uh, the vikings is a big one fantastic voyage from 1966 is one my dad made me watch when i was young <laughs> uh, that's a good time that's a, i i thoroughly enjoyed oh that. i Donald think i've got Pleasance that one is great in it i think i've got that one saved on my uh, i think it's on prime right now i think i've got it saved as well yeah, uh, you had mentioned Soylent Green previously. Mm. Uh, Tora, Tora, Tora is a Ooh, really big one. I've seen that one. Oh, I have not. Oh, interesting. I watched that um, for history class because it was it's a <laughs> film that that covers both the Americans and the Japanese uh, leading up to Pearl Harbor, which I don't mm-hmm. think was really done at the time. Like that wasn't it wasn't a popular uh, <laughs> angle to take, especially in the sixties. Well, in nineteen, it came out in nineteen seventy, which means it was being shot oh, in the sixties. Yeah. Um, that's that's not e- that's barely a generation removed from the event. <laughs> so, uh, according to Mad Men, made... <laughs> yeah, according to Mad Men, the '60s they were still not happy with the Japanese in America. <laughs> yeah, that's that's my understanding. I, obviously, I haven't lived through the '60s, but I I know some people who did. <laughs> I live with some people who did. <laughs> um, but uh, if you get to the end of this guy's filmography. Um, Conan the Destroyer mm-hmm. and Red Sonja. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, I So he did the bad Conan and the even worse Conan spinoff. I didn't see Red Sonja. It's terrible. Oh. Um, the only the only highlight is um it is laughable. It is good bad. Oh, okay. Like the, um 
Mako is fun in it, um, as as he was also fun in the Conan movies, and Arnold's okay, um, okay. but the dialogue is you know it's it's a Stallone's ex wife or whatever <laughs> I forget oh. her name Brigitte Brigitte Nielsen oh okay. uh, or as or as a Stallone's mother referred to her that big blonde <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not very good the only real highlight in my eyes um, and it's a minor one is Ennio Morricone did the music. Okay. Um, and he's he's always welcome. Uh, he's one of the greatest composers of all time, if you ask me. But and uh, the whoa, the jazz singer from 1980. Oh, <laughs> um, that one. I know I know the old one, but not the 1980 version. Um, but yeah, uh, this is directed by Richard Fleischer, um, and the cast of it is a big part of why I liked it as a kid. Like I said, these these names had no value to me because i was a child but uh james mason uh his speech pattern in this movie is just like burned into my memory oh i'm gonna be making i'm gonna be making fun of him a lot during this episode because of (laughs) Uh, his voice let me me ask you because i think you know um do you know who does a very good james mason impression there's actually a guy I, i was listening to him talk um and I was like, I swear to God, I've heard his voice on Archer before. I'm like, there's a character, he does a voice on Archer. And I looked at it, and like, James Mason died in the 80s. I'm like, okay, so he didn't do a voice on Archer. Um, But he, uh, I would assume this guy does a good voice, or a good impression of him, because he sounds a lot like him. He's a British actor. Um, Mm -hmm. Let me find his name real quick. I can't think of, he's in the new Tick series. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Oh, Peter Serafinowicz? Yes, Serafinowicz, yes. He he has a wonderful voice to begin with like he's a very talented vocalist in a lot of ways um, the voice of darth maul <laughs> no shit yes no I wouldn't shit. let ray park walk, talk gotcha have you have you ever heard ray park talk yes he talks in fanboys <laughs> he is a he is fairly squeaky and he has a very distinct british, british accent <laughs> yeah yeah um but to to blow your mind, Kyle, and this will like I'm guessing right after we finish recording, you're gonna look this up immediately because I, I think you'll have a fun time with it. John Hamm. Oh, really? Jo- John Hamm does a magnificent James Mason. I was literally um, just watching Mad Men with Steph before we started recording. That we just stopped. I kind of figured because <laughs> I know I know you love that, and I I think everybody loves John Hamm. He's very especially affable. ladies, but yeah. <laughs> but. John Ham's bulge. He has an entire website <laughs> dedicated to that bulge. His dick <laughs> has an Instagram page. <laughs> it's updated daily. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Every time he goes outside. But yeah, uh, he did a SNL skit. Uh, it was like a Vincent Price like um, cocktail party, and uh, Bill Hader is Vincent Price, and James James Mason is played by John Ham, and he does it fantastically. Dude, the difference between their voices, like like I was doing my J- James Mason impression, I'm like it is bordering on vincent price it is right there <laughs> i mean why do you think they did it it's because both of them Mason. just have really distinct really fun speech patterns the they're just we, fun to imitate the cigars are not tobacco <laughs> <laughs> these cigars are not tobacco <laughs> i'm gonna be uh, my, mine's gonna be over the top but yes i will be making awesome. fun of james mason <laughs> swing for the fence swing away kyle swing away <laughs> leave, swing leave away, glasses Meryl. of water everywhere and swing away <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, um, yeah. I'd wanna... say James Mason is the MVP of this movie. Kirk Douglas is a strong second, though. I think we're gonna have to uh, 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 touch on another film uh, eventually. I think I'm gonna have you watch it once I finish it. I might actually watch it tonight with Steph. Um, mm. There's a, 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 a Czech director 
who has a he just popped up on the Criterion channel. He's got a trilogy out right now. Uh, Laren Zeman, I think it's Laren Zeman or Karen Zeman. Carol Zeman, there we go. Carol. But I think it's probably pronounced differently. He's a Czech director. Um, and he's actually adapted a few Jules, Jules Verne uh, adaptations. Um, and I started to watch uh, Invention for Destruction. And it really reminded me a lot of this, like the, the interior shots. And I think there's a little bit of, uh, um, a little bit of inspiration drawn um, from, from this film. Because this film actually came out four years before. Um, I wouldn't be surprised I mean I remember you showing me screenshots of of the the Czech films of the invention and destruction and I was like wow I mean this was before you had watched 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea but I was telling you uh, be prepared to see some similarities because this looks very similar Um, it's funny actually uh, I watched this movie via Disney Plus Mm -hmm. not something I've done too much of Uh, I do have access to the service though for the time being Um, and as soon as it concluded it it suggested uh, journey to the center of the earth mm-hmm. and i got all giddy because that was another like dad movie for me that was one that like my dad always liked and he i i think i watched part of it with him but i didn't have as much of an attachment to it but it made me realize that like man jules verne was like the stephen king of the 50s mm-hmm. in terms of movie adaptations because uh fan, um i think journey to the center of the earth a mysterious island i think was another one of his um and just over and over again, you saw his name attached to all these film adaptations. Um, so I might actually go back and check out some of those, especially uh, Mysterious Island, because that was uh, Ray Harryhausen, some of his better work. Um, I remember watching the building of one of the one of the maquettes, I think. it was. They actually took a crab carcass and made a puppet out of it, because <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> it has a shell. You can do that. Um, but yeah, uh, we should probably get to the movie. Yeah. Yeah, so this movie is, of course, uh, a Walt Disney production. Was um, he still alive back... when this was done? I think so. I think uh, he... He's an uncredited producer on it. Okay. Um, and, of course, his name's all over it um, in some... Like, his company's name is all over yeah. it. But uh, this was back in the day when uh, the Disney company was making a lot of live-action products. Um, very few of which, as far as I understand, had like big name acting talent, like st- legit movie stars attached to them. But they were a lot of them were very ambitious. Like Pete's Dragon was like a blend of live action and animation, and same with Song of the South, which we're not allowed to talk about anymore. <laughs> um, no. But but that was another like Roger Rabbit esque production where you have animated figures interacting with live action figures. Um, I forget which one it was, but Sean Connery was in a a live action musical produced by Disney back no in the day. No kidding. They they had a strong live action division and uh in between it all they did a lot of nature films. They did a lot of stuff that we're seeing nowadays like think like March of the Penguins or mm-hmm. like Meerkat Manor kind of stuff. You're start you're starting to see like a resurgence of those kind of movies making their way to some theaters. Um but yeah, uh, this movie makes liberal use of some of the nature stock footage that they probably had oodles of. <laughs> and we're just like, what do we do? It's like, well, let's pad out the runtime with some uh, dolphins. <laughs> it's like, yeah, sure. It's kind of like an Ed Wood movie where it's like, let's put some buffalo running over the scene. It's like, why? Because we have it and it's free. Yeah, I was just <laughs> saying, like, there's some B-roll. There's some whale B-roll going on in here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, confusing whale B-roll, because when I was a kid, I didn't know what the fuck I was looking at. <laughs> um, yeah, this movie opens with a, a lovely uh, musical score by a fellow by the name of Paul Smith. 
Uh, the name unfortunately doesn't mean anything to me, but his score for this film is magnificent. Um, it's really stuck with me over the years. Some of the character themes and melodies are really powerful. Um, in particular, the main one for like Captain Nemo and the Nautilus. Yeah. Uh, and then a certain song that comes up later in the movie <laughs> that I would annoy my friends with at work. Um, but it opens with a like a curtain, like almost like you you just came to a play or a silent film or something. Well, I mean, this was this was when movies were not made to be seen outside of a theater. Like this was going to be shown just in a theater. That was it. And mm-hmm. it might come. They might bring it back into a theater at some point. But it was going to be shown two times in history. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Kyle, let me ask you because you would know much better than I. Um, has Wes Anderson ever done this trick with like an opening for one of his movies? What the like, curtains opening? Yeah, I it would... seems like something he might. I don't know though. Yeah, I don't. I can't think of. I can't think of a specific instance off the top of my head. I. I don't. I don't imagine so. Um, okay. But I am. I am really due to rewatch uh, Steve Sisu, the the underwater one with uh, yeah, the Life Aquatic. Yeah, Life Aquatic. I gotta watch that again. I've never seen it, but I remember when it came out. It was a girl. There was a girl I had a thing for that was really into it, and I was like, "Fuck, I should have taken." That it. was a kid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we open with a curtain, and then when it's drawn back, um, we have the a hardback book of Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I think even complete with Jules Verne's name on the cover. Uh, the book opens. This is a very familiar opening for any like old-fashioned adventure story from back in the day, and we get a title heading and a couple paragraphs about the current situation in the world and the chapter heading is chapter one alarming rumors 1868 (laughs) um then we immediately cut to a miniature ship like um on the sea i think it's a steamship and the score is very peaceful but then the camera starts to tilt down and it turns very sinister and then we see the beast (laughs) the beast strikes the monster and i love the look of this thing um it it looks kind of like a it has like bug eyes like two green bulbs on either side of what mm-hmm. you would imagine is its head, but it's submerged, so you can't actually see it through the water, but it it moves in a straight line, and its objective is to plow straight into the ship. Uh, the, it charges on ahead, it hits, hits the ship dead center, the music crescendos, kaboom! We have our first special effect of the movie, and it's a juicy one. Big, big explosion. Fireball. And then we immediately cut to the streets of San Francisco, um, which is which is called Frisco in this movie. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of a giggle out of that. But we have like a naval recruiter uh, shouting out to people in the streets like, hey, we're trying to get people to, you know, do their fucking jobs because uh, I know there's a monster out on the sea, but we still need fucking sailors. Um, and then like what? An old old, old crippled man emerges an old, from the crowd? It's an old sailor and they're like, yeah, this old drunk bitch knows what he's talking about. Sure. He's like, it's out there. I've seen it. Blah, blah, blah. And then I think Ned walks up with a couple of hookers. Uh, yeah, enter enter Ned Land. Um, this would be Kirk Douglas. Um, his performance think... is his performance is adorable in this movie. There, because he's just got like this floppy hair, this floppy blonde hair, uh, and he likes to pop that shirt off a few times. Um, but there's he's just like cartoonish almost in his performance. Like everybody, like this is a. We, we we mentioned like this is a jibber jabber kind of movie like just a lot of talking with good like good voices talking and we're like we're just gonna let James Mason talk he just has a really nice voice but then uh, you have Kirk Douglas just kind of bouncing off the walls in here just 
hey, just a happy-go-lucky, skip like just a skippy guy. Um, and that's much. He was much needed. I needed a little bit more of him, actually. I'm surprised that he wasn't in this as much as uh, I would have expected. Yeah, it's funny because this is actually like a very darkly serious story. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just happens to have that that Disney sheen on it that mm-hmm. makes it more approachable and more fun for kids. But when you actually get down to Captain Nemo's story, and it is his story, it's he's a douchebag. He's an absolute he's douchebag. Du- no, he is a monster, and he's also just like irredeemable in so many ways. And he's just full of malice and hate. Um, we should we should just it's well represented in this film <laughs> while we have disney plus we should work through like some of the live action disney stuff i mean because you know i love you know the three musketeers movie but we should like, kind of check out i want to see like what makes that three musketeers movie fun is like it's for kids but it's not really it's got rebecca de mornay it's not for kids uh <laughs> but i'd like to go yeah. <laughs> i'd like to go back and watch some of these and be like oh that's not for kids like just to see where where, where it's at yeah, that lady trying to sleep with people and, you know, hurling herself off a cliff. Yeah, yeah that's for kids. <laughs> circumcision joke in the middle of a PG movie. <laughs> oh, I mean, Tim Curry. Woo, th- right over my head. I think head. if Tim Curry is in your movie, you need to bump the rating up, like, yeah. one notch. Just because he is coming on camera every shot he's in, yes. in that movie. Yeah. <laughs> he is I mean, stroking he's, himself through that robe. <laughs> he's two, he has two horny performances. That and when he's Dr. Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Even fucking Home Alone 2. <laughs> he's standing behind a desk, Kyle. He yeah. has the counter blocking your view of what's going on below his waist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when that little light turns on above his head and he discovers the credit card is fake. He, yeah. He, he boner. He got off. Yeah, hard boner. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. Kirk Douglas is very cartoonish in this movie, very broad. Um, I enjoy the hell out of his performance in this. I think he's very charming, mm-hmm. um, and I think he knows what movie he's in. Like he's he's he understands that he is there to entertain people in a story that otherwise would be maybe a little dreary. Like, maybe too much. He's for the kids. He's the part exactly. for the kids, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he even has a musical number, and he plays with the seal. You get yeah, to see does. him drunk. And he's very, he's just utterly charming. And mm-hmm. I did like that, uh, like, there's a Family Guy joke. I forget the context. It doesn't matter because it's Family Guy. Yeah. They, they had a gag about, um, like, old-timey in shape. So, like, 1950s buff. Mm-hmm. It basically, it means you hike your pants up to your nipples, and do you, you, you puff out your chest. Do you, do you remember, did you ever watch The Nutty <laughs> Professor 2? Did you ever watch that one? Oh, The Clumps? Yeah, The Clumps. Uh, I did, but I mm, don't really remember it well. There's a scene where Buddy Love is uh, in front of uh, Professor Sherman and uh, Janet Jackson in the movie theater, and he's smoking a cigar, like in the, re- the remake of Cape Fear, and he's just laughing hysterically. And by the yeah. way, Eddie Murphy's hysterical laugh is so much fun. <laughs> oh, he is obnoxious. <laughs> he's commenting on the original Cape Fear, and I think Gregory Peck is like he's he takes off his shirt and he's like sucking it in, like hold like holding his chest up and sucking it in. He's like, I can see you, I can see you hold it in, I can see you sucking it in. You like just like making fun of him on screen. I'm like, yeah, he does it a few times in here. I'm like, I don't think he needs to. Yeah, uh, but he definitely he's definitely guilty of fitting into that archetype. The worst, the worst of it. He actually doesn't do it in Spartacus. They just full, they just show him with his shirt off. He looks totally normal. But Rambo, that when uh, he goes to the police station, that is the worst I've ever seen it because he's literally like, like sucking well, it in. 
See, that was before Stallone was in Rocky IV shape. Mm. Um, that was before all the chemical enhancements, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's actually known to be very, very, very vain. sensitive yeah. about his appearance. He's very vain. He's very um, vain. He's had any number of hair transplants. Uh, ten years ago, he looked he looked uh, older than he does now. Um, he yeah. got he got facial surgery to make him look as he did in the eighties. Basically, he, look, he looked good in Guardians. He actually like he like de aged in that movie. The only problem he has now is his hairline. It's yeah. questionable, and I love that in a, in Creed two they actually draw attention to it, and I thought that was so classy. Yeah, like they have they actually have a chuckle about it. It's like, what's up with your hair? And he's like, I combed it. <laughs> it's like, no, you got some work done, but okay. Um, but yeah, he he's always been sensitive about his appearance. Like I seem to remember stories about Copland, where I guess he was seen in public when he was actually intentionally putting on weight, mm-hmm. and he was like vehemently like saying oh no 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 it's for a role man I, yeah. i'm totally doing it for the movie i'm not out of shape i would never do that i never <laughs> do that but, yeah, yeah, <laughs> i'll yeah. never do that what are you talking about <laughs> um but yeah ned land comes in through the crowd uh, he is a harpooner and he introduces himself as such because it's that kind of script mm-hmm. <laughs> like hey everybody i'm ned land i'm a harpooner <laughs> put a pin in that folks <laughs> but um Long story short, he disses the old man pretty bad, like calls him out as a drunk in front of the public. Yeah. And he does have a lady on each arm. But then there's a street fight for no fucking reason. No reason. <laughs> but I guess, you know, it was 1868. There wasn't no television. Why the fuck not? <laughs> I'm bored. Let's in, throw yeah. down. <laughs> but he, uh, Kirk Douglas is detained. Um, I mean, he didn't even instigate the fight. Someone else hit him with a crutch. Yeah. And then he, he you know responded but the cops drag him off and then uh we cut to the first of many 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 lovely matte paintings in this film the pier um, this one yeah this one being a pier yeah it, it, this it, is the i think this is the be- my favorite one of the whole this is when i was like oh okay so we get some good matte paintings that's that's kind of why i wanted to watch this too i'm like i bet there's going to be some awesome matte paintings um and i was expecting a few more um uh, but yeah I, that's why I love Forbidden Planet so much. Like the matte paintings in that movie, Whew. second to none. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I still need to check that out just for that. Um, even though it's also a good movie on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we go to the port and we're introduced to. I didn't actually. I don't think I've ever paid attention to his character's name, but uh, Peter Lorre, who is the oh. assistant to Professor Aranax. I think they might say it one time in the credits. It's Conceal. Sure. Like it's like <laughs> con seal in and then seal like Neil con seal I guess is it. okay I don't his character is borderline useless and I think he's like the most faint like the second most famous person from this cast probably um, Peter Lorre is a big name he was a big name back then um, <laughs> is a big but yeah name. <laughs> he's basically like literally just the assistant character to a more important character that being Professor Aranax played by Paul Lucas. He um, really Hungary. He's kind of a the professor is just kind of like, dude, think for yourself. Like, do you do you have an opinion? I don't know. I had, I had a problem with his character. I think the problem with his character is that he's introduced as the frame for the whole story because yeah. the story is supposed to be like a retelling from his perspective in some ways, mm-hmm. um, and so he also serves as the narrator. So I think he's intended to be kind of passive. Um, and he does. He gets very wishy-washy with his opinions on most things. He kind yeah. of 
wavers back and forth and it does make him kind of frustrating um again though like you said uh, the speech patterns and the voices in this film for almost everyone in the in it like the entire cast are all very fascinating mm-hmm. and him being hungarian you know the the country that gave us bear lugosi <laughs> um, <laughs> it's for me for my my dumb american ears i love listening to it um as a kid especially it's like <laughs> he talks funny <laughs> but yeah the professor and peter lori they arrive at the port and i guess they're trying to get to saigon um, but they're running into some troubles um Huh, timely, relevant, um, because right. uh, there is a monster at sea that's uh, blowing up ships, and they can't get out of port. Um, while they're trying to book a ship, though, uh, the press run up to the professor, who I want to say is a marine biologist, or the equivalent in 1868, yeah. just a, a naturalist of some sort. Naturalist sounds better, yeah. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, he, he look at animals and write notes. Uh, the press run up to him and they want his opinion on the monster, the beast. And he keeps trying to wave them off and say, oh, I have nothing to say. And uh, they <laughs> they ask him some weird questions here. Like, what about the giant narwhal? I've heard narwhals can get up to 800 feet. It's, have you seen a narwhal? <laughs> it's like they are the small whales. Yeah, they're not very <laughs> No, narwhals are pretty small. Um, maybe in 1868 they had different narwhals who knows mm. but um after after they part ways though um we get to see that like the journalists are like gossiping amongst each other and they're like what do we do with that he gave us nothing it's like oh i got a solution to that uh, and then we cut to the professor and peter Lorre hanging out and we get to see the paper the article that they printed complete with an illustration of a motherfucking dragon attacking a boat <laughs> and i did like that the professor is good humored enough to have a laugh over that like he's like oh i think the proportions are actually fairly accurate <laughs> i was like oh that's cute um and kyle i didn't bother to look this up so maybe i can like on the fly but um in their hotel room or whatever uh, i wrote in my notes the man with the golden voice um because holy shit this government agent that walks in oh. to 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 get them a ship like to get them passage yeah holy fucking shit this guy like this guy makes you cream your pants like I, just by speaking to you <laughs> i thought it was i thought he was gonna be i thought he was gonna be in the movie like i he's in this one scene that's it i know that's what i'm talking about it's like i need more of this man he's like a drug <laughs> seriously like i i can seldom recall like better voices just like he has the perfect timbre to his voice but Carlton Young. Carlton um, I had I had to pull him up on the IMDb. Um, he was on the TV show The Untouchables. Uh, very prolific television actor, apparently. Charles um, Grodin. I, Charles Grodin is an uncredited drummer boy. Yeah, I caught that when I when I was looking at the when I googled this movie. Um, I didn't notice him, but who knows how old he was in 1954? Uh, looks like he's just a prolific television actor, but holy shit. Uh, Carlton Young, you've got a amazing voice. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, anyway, he walks in on them, and he is from the government, and he is offering to ferry them to Saigon, uh, with the caveat being, uh, you got to go on the ship um, that is hunting the monster because it would look very good for like public relations to have like a naturalist or a marine biologist on the ship that is being used to hunt the monster. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also alludes to the fact that other countries are actually in like the equivalent to like a moon shoot, like a like a 
a moon race to mm-hmm. see who can kill the monster first. So this is like a a chance to I don't know improve America's standing among other nations. So this is a political thing at this point. Um, and then we immediately cut to the ship at sea. Yeah, on board and onward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the professor narrates the whimsical voyage. Whimsical because the music is telling us it's whimsical. Um, and then we, we see that Ned Land is on board, so mm. we have a for harpooner on some, board. Yeah, for some reason of, he gets on there. Played played by a very famous person, so yeah. he's probably going to be in the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, well, um, we get some whale B-roll. Yeah, we, we get to see uh, Peter Laurie get sick when offered a banana. Mm-hmm. It's kind of funny because he's a stout fella, and uh, I don't know, he already looks kind of sickly, so seeing him do a puke face just made me laugh a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, we get dolphin stock footage and... Uh, the reason why I say confusing whale stock footage is the the score here is like very sinister. It's the sa- it's almost the same music cue they use when the monster is on screen, um, but it's just the back of like a humpback whale, you know, blowing it blowing air out its blowhole. And as a kid, because we only see the back of it, like I was like, what am I looking at? <laughs> it's just this mottled mess of flesh in the sea. It's like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> um. I did like uh, the when when all the sailors run over to the side of the ship to take a look at the whale. Uh, Ned is in the middle of shaving, mm-hmm. and he like didn't finish though. So like when everybody's going back to their posts, he's like, "Well, now what the fuck do I do? I've got cream all over my face." Um, eventually, though, uh, the captain decides he wants to call off the search. Yeah, because they they to quote the space balls, we ain't found shit. <laughs> um. And uh, Ned and the professor have a chat here, and basically he's saying that you know it's fine we didn't find the monster. I wherever whatever I whatever port I end up up at, it's gonna be great because that's his outlook on life. I guess it's, everything's great. Optimist. Um, I did like that he has a line here. Like Peter Lorre tries to interject at one point, and Ned just pauses and like looks him dead in the eye. He's like, "You scare me." <laughs> it's like, "Yeah, you and everyone else," because it's Peter Lorre. <laughs> He's creepy. Um, and then we get we get a song here, Kyle. Oh yeah, this is pretty awful. Um, so yeah, Ned. Hey, 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 watch, watch it. <laughs> Ned sings a song. I'm like, "Oh, they're making you sing in this, huh, Spartacus?" Okay. Uh, <laughs> Remember when you let a slave revolt? Um, yeah, he's he's singing a song, and this is one of my favorite things in movies: is when somebody's playing an instrument, but they're not playing the instrument, but they're not even obvious. They're not even act playing the instrument. Like some people like try to make it look like it. He's doing nothing, and I don't know if he's supposed to be playing a giant ukulele or a four-string guitar because this is a four-stringed like the size of a guitar. I'm like, that's a bass. But I think it's supposed to be a ukulele. I think I think you're right. I think it's supposed to be a ukulele, but even I noticed the proportions of it, of it are kind of funky. Yeah. It's kind of chunky for a ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, he has his one go-to trick where he like twirls it in one hand. Yeah. And it's like, why is there still music coming out? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the song, for the folks at home, in case you're curious, is called Whale of a Tale. <laughs> and I absolutely love it. I think it's great. Um the melody of it is his theme. Um, we only get to hear the song on screen two, three times, which is a lot. But but this is actually like a musical number that I seem to recall being like part of like the Disney sing-along tapes that were coming. Oh, I forgot about those. Yeah. I didn't have any of those, but I had friends who did. 
I yeah, can't. Zip, zippity fucking doodah. Yeah. Uh, the the song in the Parent Trap, which is one of the dumb like, have you the original Parent Trap, not the Lindsay no, Lohan I, one. I've never seen either. Dude, it's the dumbest. <laughs> it's the dumbest song. It's awkward. I'm gonna send it to you right now so you can watch it. You don't have to watch it right now, but it's like, <laughs> you ugh. gotta suffer with me. It's bad. It's like, I mean, we all know that the Three Musketeers song is the. It's the, the greatest. It is the greatest. <laughs> it is the greatest. <laughs> um, but yeah, the song is called Whale of a Tail. And it's all true. I'd swear by my tattoo. Um, but then mid-song, uh, we witness a ship explode in the distance. Yeah. Um, so we have a drastic tonal shift. We go from a happy-go-lucky sea shanty to an explosion. Um, and then uh, I really like that uh, we spring into action. Like, the music really picks up here. It turns into, like, an action score. And all the sailors immediately get to their posts and get ready for battle. Um, but... It just so happens that by the time we get to the source of the explosion, um, there's ship's wreckage. Uh, there's a offhand line of dialogue here that indicates the ship was hauling black powder. That's the reason it went up in flames as quickly as it did. Um, and there are uh, no survivors. No survivors. <laughs> uh, so immediately after we get to the ship wreckage, though, um, we get to see the monster again. And its theme music kicks into gear. Uh, it is lit the fuck up and fearsome. Uh, again, bulging green eyes. Um, it's underwater. It looks menacing. Even mm-hmm. as a kid, especially, I was like, oh shit, I don't like this. This is scary. <laughs> um, and all the sailors man the cannons. And uh, I don't know if this is like a, a young boy thing, but just like seeing people like mobilize and like work in concert and like man, man a complicated machine like a cannon or a ship or something. It's just really, f- you get really absorbed in it. I get you. I know what you mean. Yeah, it, it's something about people springing into action and like collectively working to complete a task or something. It just—it's fascinating to watch as a child, especially. They're gonna enjoy once we eventually make you watch the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. <laughs> there's a lot of that. Oh yeah, there's a lot of that. A lot of um, that. <laughs> a lot, a lot. Um. And I did love that uh, the captain starts shit-talking his crew because they can't aim worth shit. <laughs> they they miss this fucking monster. You're fucking pussies. Uh, <laughs> you'll know how to hit shit. In 1954, not quite, but, I mean, if okay. you... That's the funny thing. I, I, I was curious about when this was going to come up, but they've been trying to remake this for a very long time. Uh, I think they'll, they're going to, like, it's going to be like Aquaman, where it's going to be, like, 90% CG, like... Oh, n- uh, no doubt, but... I mean, the source material is very strong. Um, there's a lot of different things you could do with it. You could make it darker. You could make it more colorful. They'll it has it been adapted colorful. to film many, many times. In fact, I think Michael Caine was on the TV version in the 90s um, that, for whatever reason, replaced the giant squid with a giant manta ray, which makes no goddamn sense. No. And doesn't exist. <laughs> I feel like they would... Even do like a Pixar thing with it. I could see them doing that. Well, I mean, so what What I know is that David Fincher was actually fingered to do this movie like 10 years ago. Uh, he and wanted re- Brad Pitt and Channing Tatum uh, for Ned Land. I was thinking David um, Lynch. I'm like, wait, what? No, 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 no. That would be a very different movie. <laughs> oh, you want a Dark Nemo? I'll give you a Dark Nemo. No, the, the squid would latch onto the Nautilus, and then like we'd zoom into its mouth, and there'd be a woman singing <laughs> in the radiator yeah. that is inside the squid. He's going to Grandma Tark and Jack Nance to be Nemo, basically. 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, David, like David Fincher was attached and anything he does is worth a look. Um, but for now it's just like up in the air. Who knows what the fuck? Um, I wouldn't be surprised if this gets made again though, because the source material oh, is sure. just so rich. Um, anyway, uh, the monster gets hit by some of the cannon fire at some point as it's as it's like retreating but then it turns around <laughs> and it comes back and this time it makes a charge towards the ship that all of our heroes are on um during the commotion ned is ordered into a longboat uh, to man a harpoon um i don't know how wise that is but <laughs> but it's what he's there to do he's the harpooner um and we get this neat shot where we keep cutting back and forth between the monster barreling straight on towards the ship um, and Kirk Douglas readying his harpoon, and they strike like simultaneously. So he throws his harpoon, and it looks like I think the the monster doesn't crash head on. It kind of like veers off to the side and brushes up against them, like sideswipes the ship, mm-hmm. and and it causes it to lean and damages the ship the ship horribly, but doesn't cause it to sink or explode or anything. Um, but as a result, Ned falls into the water. The professor does too. <laughs> and Peter Lorre hurls himself into the ocean to save the professor. Um, so all of our major players are are overboard now, and the ship is going away from them. And so they're floating on a log, kind of similar to Jack and Rose. Rose! Rose! <laughs> Rose! Rose! Um, and then uh, we get a suspenseful moment here where there's fog on the ocean, fog on the sea, and uh, the professor and Peter Lorre are just like floating on this log, and they see this, it looks like a spine, like a giant metal spine with like like spi- spikes protruding out from it. It's like a corona shape. And it, I like that Peter Laurie's like really scared. He's like, I don't want to go anywhere near that. But the professor's just like, I don't know what it is, but as long as it floats, <laughs> which tells you where they're at in terms of like their survival mentality. Um, but yeah, they hop onto this thing and they discover it is a, to quote the professor, a submarine boat. Um, and it is some sort of, I think it, I think it's supposed to be iron. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that would work on the on the water, but. It's an iron vessel of some sort that has the capacity to submerge. And uh, the door's just fucking wide open. (laughs) So they invite themselves in. And uh, What did you think of this scene here where they're they're sneaking on board the ship and it's empty? Uh, I guess it was supposed to be suspenseful. Um, I like the set design. I think it's pretty neat. But it also, at the same time, felt like soundstage. Uh, Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, I like it when you when it fools me a little bit, but it was harder back then, and they didn't really have to fool you back then. It's like you know what this is, um, but yeah, I like the uh, I like the interior of the ship. I really liked um, Nemo's little quarters. I liked I liked his little spot, um, his organ chamber. Yeah, it, they do a good job of making it seem big, um, mm-hmm. and it probably was like I mean this was like old Hollywood, and they spent money on this thing. Like it was it was a spectacle. Um, uh, if you if you glance at the Wikipedia, apparently the most expensive movie of its day. Yeah, I can see it that. Says a lot. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, it definitely you you are able to get a feel for like the the submarine actually feels big as opposed to like DOS boot where you're like it feels you feel confined in that film, um, and it was actually filmed in like a slightly larger like a it was a, it was. Not a submarine, but they just made it a little bit larger so they could do the camera work, but it was still felt really small. 
What I love about the cinematography in Das Boot, which folks at home, if you're not aware, Kyle was the one who introduced me to that film. Um, I knew it by reputation, but I never would have watched it if not for him lending it to me. Mm-hmm. I'm glad he did. Um, one thing I really love about the cinematography for it is that the shape of a submarine is a tube. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how, this, that's how the camera work operates in that film, is it's always pushing or pulling. And there's no space really to... Like to do anything else. tilt it's just kind of you're you're either pushing forward or pulling back either way you're gonna have to get out of some ways way yeah <laughs> um, but i wouldn't be surprised if i mean one this is a grand adventure movie so you don't want it to be claustrophobic it creates the wrong vibe for mm. das boot that was perfect perfect um for this though it's like you know you need to give the actors room to breathe and give performances and also i wouldn't be surprised if um logistically like camera equipment and cables and stuff it just wasn't feasible to make a cramped set um even you know tearing down walls and stuff it would still be difficult um but i really love the uh it's funny i'm not a huge fan of like victorian era like art and architecture and stuff but i do appreciate its aesthetic Mm -hmm. Um, because whenever i think of that kind of stuff i think like ornamentation i think it's it's note it's noted for its combination of like pure aesthetics with practicality mm-hmm. so you have a lot of you have a lot of inventions and machines that are needlessly beautiful to look at yeah that's like kind there's of... no reason there's no reason for it to be pretty or, or have like flowery ornamentation on it but they that was the style at the time it, this was like pre-steampunk like the nautilus felt really steampunk yeah um and it has that kind of feel to it like parts of it almost feel like a cathedral or like uh, like a, a major building in London or something from I, the Victorian era. You know what? If they if they do like they did with Star Wars and like give me good sets, like if you try to make a really good set out of this and not just like CGI crap, um, it could be it could be fun if they remake Twenty Thousand Leagues Under the Sea. I'd be down with that. I think JJ that would do be it. doing it right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think so too. I would. It's one of those remakes that if it ever does come about, yeah. I'll go see it. I'll go see it for I sure. Will. Um. Anyway, uh, Ned shows up, and uh, Peter Laurie goes out to greet him because he's calling out into the fog. Um, <laughs> did like the Kirk Douglas hops onto the submarine and he looks at it and like you would expect him to be like baffled or utterly shocked. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he's like, I'm on dry-ish land right now. I'm not dead. I'm not gonna cool. Complain, yeah. And he he just like kind of looks about and he's like, Well, he really got his monster, didn't he? It's <laughs> like, yeah, I guess he did. Ned, are you drunk? <laughs> yes. And uh, Ned immediately makes a beeline for the galley. Meanwhile, the professor is like mesmerized by the, a uh, a viewport uh, that's in the organ chamber, which is, I guess, like Nemo's office. I guess. Um, and I really love this viewport because it's shaped like a fish's eye, and it, like whatever whatever mechanics they did to to be the iris for it, because it opens and closes. It, it just looks cool. Um, I'm sure it's not very complicated on a technical level, but it opens and closes exactly like a camera iris, um, with like a with some blades basically that form a circle. Um, I like the green screen too. Uh, how we get to see some like shitty looking fish go by the <laughs> go by the window, mm-hmm. and they have a really thick black ac- outline around them. Yeah, <laughs> it's like yeah, we tried our best. It's like not everything's gonna be perfect. Um, but yeah, we get this moment here where uh, Peter Lorre walks up on him, and uh, they both admire for a minute a what appears to be a deep sea burial, and it's a bunch of divers. 
and uh, they have e- they even have a coral headstone yeah, for somebody coral that cross. they're burying. I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> they're burying someone on like under the sand at the bottom of the ocean. Um, but then the music flips out because the the lead diver, the one with the flashlight on top of his head, does like a halt, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> like because because we're underwater, we can't actually talk to each other. I'd actually like that detail. It's mm. kind of cool that everything's hand signals. So he does this like big like. Imagine a bear just popped out of the bushes. It's like I'm big. <laughs> so he puts his hands up, and then all the divers hurry back to the submarine, and uh. Everybody, like all of our heroes, we try to escape from the submarine. We get back into the longboat that Ned brought with him. Um, but the divers attack, and we get to, <laughs> we get to see Kirk Douglas more than likely injure some stunt people. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he beat the shit out of a lot of people in this movie. Yeah, this was old Hollywood, dude. You could just get away with whatever. Yeah, he's whacking people on the head with oars, and it's like, I hope that guy got paid. <laughs> yeah, I saw that too. I'm like, oh, I think he actually whacked him with that. Yeah. So, Kyle, let me ask you this because mm. I'm curious right out the gate if you, if you as an adult watching this movie had the same reaction I did as a child. Probably not. The f- the f- probably not. But the first mate with the gray shirt. Uh huh. Did you hate that man? Uh, I didn't hate him at first, but he I found his fight with Kirk Douglas at the end very frustrating, and I was putting myself in that situation like, oh, I'd be so fucking mad. Because that, the situ- was, that was my reaction. Yeah, the situation <laughs> that they're in, I would, like, it, he reacts the right way. He's like, wait, what the fuck? Like, he doesn't say that, but he's just like, <laughs> you're going to sink I mean- us? <laughs> Like, I mean, in today's Hollywood, you get one fuck if it's PG-13. <laughs> I think that Kirk Douglas went easy on him because he tries to drown him, and then Kirk Douglas just knocks him out and leaves him there. I'm like, no, 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 you drown that bastard. He Don't let him get back up because he's got, like, a good foot on Kirk Douglas. A big or guy. Ned, yeah. A big guy with really shitty hair. Yeah. <laughs> he got, like, Bozo the Clown hair, but it's gray. There is, um, one, there is one extra that I didn't notice him until closer to the end. When I think they're going to do their dive after they've gone to the island, they're going to blow it up. But the guy, I think it's after uh, Nemo was shot, uh, he looks like Gene if Gene Wilder. Uh, oh, dang it. He looks like Gene Wilder with like a beard, but I'm like, if Gene Wilder were... Um, oh, I can't think. Uh, if he was like Zorro or something. like This guy just has a look well, to him. I mean, everybody in this cast, at least among Nemo's crew, they have a specific Errol Flynn-esque yes. facial hair thing yes, going Robin on. Yes, 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 sorry. That's what it was. As if, if Gene Wilder played Rob Errol Flynn's Robin Hood. It's like a snidely whiplash mustache with a little triangle-shaped goatee yeah. <laughs> for the, every member of this crew, except for the first mate, who is clean-shaven. Yeah. Fuck, I hate that guy. Yeah, <laughs> um, and then uh, we get to meet uh, Captain Nemo. So yeah. all of our heroes are subdued by the divers and and the first mate, who I fucking hate. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get to meet Captain Nemo, and his entrance is surprisingly low-key. Yeah, it is. It's revealed that he, um, this is before we actually know who he is, but it's James Mason, and he looks fucking amazing in this. Yeah. Um, I love the pressure chamber where the divers come and go from. Mm-hmm. I really love the design of it, especially because we get some lingering shots of it that actually like instruct us, the viewer, as to how it works. And I love that kind of shit. Even as a kid, like it's like, oh, that's what that does. If he turns that thing, then the water doesn't come in. I'm so- and if he turns it the other way, then the water goes out. I'm so- <laughs> you don't like the abyss as much as I do. It's really shocking. I me. haven't seen it since I was like twelve, Kyle. Man. I barely remember it. I just remember Michael Bean going ape shit and exploding. That's the whole. Mo- oh yeah, and the ending, which 
apparently there are two different endings for that movie yeah i'm not gonna watch and i've only seen one of them so i don't know if it's the good or the bad it's the ending i just i'm I'm just gonna stick with that one the other one of things like they go to the surface and they're aliens and i i i need to see it again okay it it, (laughs) it it ends a little funny but the ride leading up to it is great okay well i i I would happily rewatch it because I love James Cameron for the most part. I can't think of a single movie of his I don't like. It's got everything you like in a like in a movie. It's like it's it's got moments of intensity. It's shot really well, and it's got great characters. But also, it has a troubled production, which is right up your alley. Yeah, no, it, we we need to find an excuse to do that. It's long. I, I don't want to watch that if we're not going to talk about it. Really? <laughs> hmm. No, because you have so much to say about it. <laughs> what would yes. be the point? Just watching it because it's a good time. <laughs> it's a good Saturday movie. Nice little Saturday. Well, anyway, um, the punch quotient is a little low, Kyle. I'm just mm. saying. For for my entertainment standards, the punch quotient is low. Uh, <laughs> there's some punches in there. Well, there's Michael Bean doing some crazy stuff, too. And I, I appreciate crazy Michael Bean, even if it's what the art of war michael bean versus wesley snipes i've never seen that that is not a fair fight i'm sorry (laughs) wesley snipes 90s wesley snipes versus michael bean no giant hands (laughs) (laughs) Uh, some motherfuckers always trying to ice skate uphill Uh, so yeah, uh, we get introduced to Captain Nemo because he's in his diving gear, and, and he comes back, and his introduction comes in the form of someone taking his helmet off and him just staring off into the middle distance, looking intense. He does. And look, that's the first time we see him. He does that quite a bit here. Ah <laughs> uh, yes, the drink bar is that way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um. But then his proper introduction. Uh, comes a little like just a couple seconds later when all all of our heroes are being held captive by the Nemo crew. Uh, they have uniforms, and then there's this really cool moment where the camera pans over and all the sound drops out. Like everybody stops jibber jabbing, the music cuts, and we just hear footsteps on like a metal staircase. Mm-hmm. And uh, Captain Nemo comes into view, and uh, he he has a little standoff here with all of our heroes and. I really like the one line about basically he's saying I'm gonna kick you guys out. Like yeah. you have no you have no business being here. I don't want you here. I'm either gonna kill you right here or I'm gonna let the sea kill you kill you for me. But he has a line here. But the sea brought you. The sea shall have you back. And I was like, oh damn. Oh, he says <laughs> natural some, law. He says some real douchebag shit. You know he'd be awful on Twitter if he if he had like a Twitter account now. He would just, have opinions. He would have <laughs> fucking opinions. But he's just like, I don't hold myself to the laws of men. I'm outside of that. I'm like, oh fuck you. You loser. Yeah. And Captain Nemo is essentially a teenage girl. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just he's like, oh, you're a catty bitch, aren't you? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Oh, he tries to he tries to recruit the professor. He's like, I'm gonna kill those other two, but I think I like you. I know who you are. Why don't you stay? And the professor's like, No, I don't think I will. Um, you need no. to sound. You need to sound more like think Dracula when you think of the professor. No, I will not stay. Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Uh, Bell Lugosi. Perfect. I gotta go. Bell Lugosi. Bell um, Lugosi. <laughs> oh wait. Uh, Fuck Boris Korloff. Uh, <laughs> Karloff? Karloff? Sidekick? <laughs> Fuck, Fuck you! you. 
Uh, uh, see Ed Wood. Yeah. Um, Ed Wood is wonderful. Yeah, but he's like, no, those are my, there's my friend. I'm not going to leave him. And he's like, oh, suit yourself. And he does like a weird power move here. Like, uh, I did like this. Uh, he gets them out, he like kicks them out on the boat and seals it shut. And uh, he's just like, take it down half. He doesn't say that, but he's just like, just kind of drop down a little bit. Make him panic a little bit. Waterboard him, you know, <laughs> the equivalent. And um, I like the, this seemed like a dangerous production as far as the water was concerned. Especially when we get to the to the giant squid. I'm like, dude, I think they might have lost somebody <laughs> doing this movie. <laughs> um, but this was one of those moments. I'm like, they've got these three actors getting, like, they're not drowning them, but they are dunking them in a big tank, basically. Um, mm. And because, you know, because he's fit as he's fit as hell, uh, Kirk Douglas manages to, like, hang on while they, like, he's, like, taking off and, like, taking him halfway down. Uh, but Peter Lorre and the professor, uh, they both they both get lost. And he's just like, oh, okay, let's stop and bring him back on. I'm like, what the fuck was that all about, dude? Like, he, he's got weird power moves here. Well, I mean, anybody who ditches dry land for living in a fucking submarine for the till the end of time has some issues yeah (laughs) um but yeah he does spare them um and like you said ned doesn't he holds fast yeah so we basically he's testing them and he's trying to learn a little something about what he's dealing with so what what we the viewer and captain nemo learn here is that ned land is a fucking badass yeah don't tangle with ned land if you can help it and uh the professor had an opportunity to you know live on a submarine vessel this is a marine biologist slash naturalist having access to the world's first submarine vessel it's pretty fucking exciting um but instead he said no i'll, I'll go with my friends instead so it, it shows that he's a loyal man yeah but it's also like i kind of don't want to do that like you know i've got like a like not a wife but like a steady you know back home i'd like to hang out with i'm like i don't want to just be with this super negative dude in a submarine for the rest of my super, life. Super, like this emo goth guy and his band of dudes. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know about that guy in the gray shirt either. He, he gives me the willies. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nemo spares them. And uh, we get our first underwater shots of the Nautilus. Um, it's, of course, a miniature, probably in an elaborate set suspended on wires. I mm-hmm. seriously doubt that this was actually shot underwater for the most part looks fantastic mm-hmm. um, like even today it looks solid like it doesn't look hokey or anything i think, I think that the score kicks in oh go ahead as i say i think most godzilla and uh like uh what what's the japanese term for giant monster movie oh kaiju or daikaiju daikaiju movies uh, the director was like look do you see this that every movie that <laughs> we're going to have that i want to see the wires that Oh, if you, Kyle, if, that rem, that reminds me. Um, did I ever send you a special effects featurette about the Godzilla movies? You might have, but okay. Um, it it was a uh, I think it was a British TV show that they did like a special featurette um, where a British journalist went to Toho Studios where they make Godzilla movies and had extended interviews with people who worked on those movies back in the day. And the end of every like ten minute episode was them doing a special effects test to demonstrate it. Mm-hmm. And one of them was um, an exploding island. So so he was like, how did you guys do that? And it's like, well, we built an upside-down miniature of an island, and then we poured paint into water. 
and the clouds are actually just paint billowing into water oh, upside down though because the camera's capturing it the other way so it looks like it's exploding upward instead and it's so ingenious and so cheap yeah. <laughs> but it was really fascinating to watch um if i can find it i'll send it to you sure um but then we get introduced to esme the seal who is absolutely adorable, adorable. yes the seal is adorable absolutely adorable esmeralda the seal um gives captain nemo a kiss and oh that smoking jacket Mm-hmm. Yow. Um that is I immediately watching it now thought of M. Bison and <laughs> Raul Julia from Street Fighter the movie <laughs> because it is the exact same smoking jacket and it is equally spectacular. Um Captain Nemo is putting on a show. <laughs> he's he's wearing his best. Um and we have a meal with Captain Nemo, all of our heroes, and basically we're setting the stage here where um Ned wants to escape. He's He's grumbling at the table, like he's he's eating the food that's being served to him, but at the same time he's making it clear, like I intend to escape. Yes. <laughs> like, like, I, I will do whatever I can. Yeah, the food. Um, <laughs> I got uh, air quotes seafood. I like, have a saint, gentlemen, and they start eating, and this food actually looks pretty good. And I can imagine being pretty hungry at this point. Like you've nearly died twice now, um, and they're, they're just chowing down. Kirk Douglas is eating with a butter knife for some <laughs> fucking reason. Um, and he's like, "Are you gonna use your like? Are you gonna use your ten souls?" He's like, "Nah, I got it." Um, <laughs> and he's like, "What is this all made of?" And he's like, "What? What?" The, he's like, "Oh, that that piece of meat that you're eating. That's what is it? Seaweed or something like that?" Yeah. Um. So Captain Nemo makes it known that everything they eat comes from his undersea kitchen, his um, octopus's that is, garden. That is fillet of sea snake. <laughs> Brisket of blowfish. Cream from a giant sperm whale. <laughs> sea so, cucumber jams. You would have you would have had me on the first two, but when you got to the uh, to that one, you're like, where's the I'm cream? I'm sorry, and any mention of cream <laughs> from an animal. Yeah. <laughs> an f- undersea animal. <laughs> cream? Where the fuck do you think we got it from? <laughs> we jacked uh, them I- off. <laughs> That's what you're <laughs> eating. <laughs> <laughs> you plebe. It's like, you are eating whale's semen. You ever seen a whale's cock explode? <laughs> I have two myself. <laughs> I have two myself. Um, um, I oh, really yeah, love how... The professor's like, like, oh, it's very good. Yes, it's very nice. Like, just eat it. If it tastes good, fucking eat it, dude. Just saying. Well, you need to remember, Kyle, it was a different time. I remember portions of my childhood where i would go to people's houses and that the notion of eating sushi was considered weird yeah i remember that being a thing when i was a kid like it, it, and th- you know that was the 90s yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I'm, I'm not surprised in 1954 that you know a table full of white guys <laughs> might, might have a problem with eating a bunch of seafood when did we come around to sushi as a culture uh probably the late 90s i want to say I feel like when the- I, whenever uh Whenever it started appearing in malls, essentially. I think maybe post-2001. That could be it. I mean, whenever Blue Sea started to pop up, you know, en masse. But, oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> but I love the I love the dynamic between Captain Nemo and Ned Land, because Ned is a consummate sailor, like, and he's he's a military man, so he even makes it known that it's like it's, it's a sailor's duty or, a, you know, a military person's duty when held captive to try to escape. Um, and 
just from a visual standpoint, just looking at the two of them, you can tell that Ned is kind of a savage. Yeah. <laughs> and Captain Nemo puts on airs and tries to appear like he's holier than thou. He mm-hmm. he composes himself in such a way that he he pretends to be dignified and classy and hospitable, but it's like, you know, you're a terrible person. Yeah, <laughs> like, he's a piece of shit. Um, but the the way they communicate with each other is always that, where Ned is very fast and loose and very confrontational and captain nemo is very sideways and catty and, <laughs> yeah. and even the, the the tone in which they speak it, it's a perfect dynamic for two people to butt heads and for enter- entertainment purposes and i love that <laughs> um ned is like eating and he's making a, a sickly face at the mention of the cream from the giant sperm whale and without even looking, like Captain Nemo's fiddling around with something, looking past him, and he's like, "Eat your pudding, Mister Land." <laughs> it's like, ooh, <laughs> and it is sauté of unborn octopus. And it's like, Jesus, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Eat a fish, yeah, Jesus, yeah, for fucking real. Just catch a fucking fish, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. That... Why do we gotta squeeze and extrude things? Like, why can't we just eat the animal? <laughs> yeah, he's just like, would you like a seaweed cigar? I'm sorry, uh, it's not a cigar. You have to have nicotine and whatever you're burning for it to be, yeah, like something to smoke, like tobacco. So you're just inhaling smoke. Yeah. That sounds oh, lovely. Okay. Uh, <laughs> he's like, if you don't like to eat this, you can go hunting with the boys. You can go get your stuff. And... <laughs> I know. Your it's Captain spot Nemo's on. hilarious. It's spot on, I know. Um, <laughs> listeners, that's exactly what he sounds like. Um, so, yeah, they get to go hunting. Now, this sequence I thought was kind of interesting, like, just from, like, the... Like, them actually executing filming it. Uh, but it's really kind of drawn out. Like, it just takes yeah. a long time. Um, so, this was, this was a problem with a lot of movies from this era. From the... 1950s and early 60s i think diving camera technology was really blossoming yeah and i mean i hate to say it but as much as i i love them some of those early james bond movies in particular thunderball holy fuck the the diving scenes guys like you gotta cut you gotta trim some of that down dude but you need to remember that what you're seeing just the novelty of seeing it is mm-hmm. in, in and of itself kind of a special effect. Mm-hmm. Um, so I agree with you wholeheartedly. This, all the diving scenes in this movie are too long. At the time, kind of drawn out. Yeah, so at the time it was probably oh this is so awesome that we're doing all yeah. this. And I thought that was kind of what you were getting at by having me watch this. I'm like oh he's probably remarking a little bit on like yeah this is kind of neat. I get it like the under underwater diving stuff that's cool, but it just takes forever. But yeah, they make them gear all up and uh they make them jump into the big hole to go uh hunting with everybody and um the it's only um uh peter laurie and ned that go out and the professor's gonna stay behind to watch it with uh nemo and they they follow later but they're not part of the hunting expedition but yeah they're at the they're at the back of it and they actually kind of like stumble and fall like don't worry they'll learn to they'll learn to keep up um, and, but the, it was kind of neat. They had like, uh, they had these fish, like they're walking with these cages of fish, like different ones. And I thought that was kind of neat. I'm like, oh, that's probably, it was probably difficult to do. I have a lot of respect for the way the sequence is portrayed. Um, cause again, they, they did the thing where there's no dialogue underwater, yeah. which is actually kind of remarkable because 
like I'm not saying like Battlestar Galactica did it right, where it's like, oh yeah, it's space. There shouldn't be any sound. It's like you know, like Star Wars. It's sci-fi fantasy. Who gives yeah, a fuck? Who cares? Um, but to to have respect for the fact that you know this is old diving tech. Like this is yeah. fantasy diving tech from 1868. I don't think they would have radio communication between each other in their helmets or whatever. Um, so everything's pantomime, and the score does a lot to carry the action. Um, and you're just kind of like watching stuff and it's really neat seeing this like undersea farming operation where they have all these traps set up at the bottom of the sea and they're harvesting like what looks like scallops and mal- mal- manner of like mollusks and crabs and lobsters and stuff um, and like I said the score is very lovely here and we get to see more of that lovely <laughs> nature stock footage of like stingrays and mm-hmm. octopi um, professor narrates part of the scene as well um <laughs> I will say this though. Um, one thing that I don't think you would see in a two th- in a twenty twenty production is uh, the sea turtles. Mm-hmm. Those sea turtles looked very unhappy, and I don't think You're animal rights people would have. I don't think they would let that go. You can't touch them. No, uh, yeah. you no, can't touch those absolutely things. Absolutely not. Yeah, the sea turtles were kind of cute. They're just like, mm, just kind of like <laughs> their heads, just kind of like, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I don't have much of a choice. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see it, folks, but Kyle is doing a spot-on impression of their like kind of like lackadaisical. Like it looks like a kid who doesn't want to go. Yeah. And like mom and dad are dragging him by the yes, arm. Yes, exactly <laughs> what it is. I don't want. Then uh, while they're while they're down there, Ned catches a, a ship that's been wrecked. Um, which I I always like a good shipwreck. Like that's th- pretty cool to see. I like when we when we do this with uh, movies. I haven't I don't see it too often. It's usually fake. But this looks like they, it's a real like they maybe sunk it for coral. Like they they used to do that. Um, yeah. Or yeah, this is pretty cool. Um, but yeah, they make their way into this ship and immediately they find a treasure chest and uh, crack it open. They're like fucking yeah, dude. Like <laughs> we have fucking treasure, man. Um, <laughs> And there's a sh- I mean, there's like a shark swimming outside. It doesn't even look that like that menacing of a shark uh, to me. I think it's like a nurse shark. Yeah. Which, I mean, this is you know, twenty years pre Jaws, so yeah. like the the prototypical like great white you know pointed snout with mm-hmm. menacing teeth wasn't really in vogue yet. But yeah, when I think like scary sharks, this is not it. This is not <laughs> a scary shark. <laughs> Uh, I do like them jumping out of the ship and like falling down because they're weighted down. They're not like scuba. Yeah. Di- it's not like scuba. It's like old school like divers kit kind of thing. Yeah, it's not like a diving bell. These guys don't have air air hoses attached to their head, but they, it's it's made up to look like old tech, like with weighted boots and everything. There's a good. I think it's a series now, but I thought it was just a mini series. The Terror on AMC. It's got uh, Siren Hines, uh, I can't remember his name, Jared Harris, uh, about like a, a, an expedition, an, an, an Arctic ans- expedition that um, I think the whole crew ends up dying historically. Um, but at the time, <laughs> I fuck you. <laughs> yeah, I can hear the, the horns out there. Um, but the they have. Uh, this really old, old diving suit where it was just like a dude in a hose and no way of communication and he has to go over the side in freezing water and like, um, and fix something on the ship. And I'm like, uh-uh, dude. They're like, they're like congratulating him too. He's like, well, I'm really glad you did that because you were probably going to die. <laughs> Thanks for taking care of that for us. So like, honestly, oh, it was fucking scary. But this, these don't, these don't seem as scary, but... I wonder if there were any mishaps. I didn't check the trivia, but I feel like somebody drowned on the on the set of this. I didn't look into it, but to me, it just looked like 
like basic two tube scuba suits that were made up to look like you know old timey diving bell suits. Yeah, I I don't think there was any problems, but I mean logistically that is a lot of divers in front mm-hmm. of a camera, probably for many many takes. So you know statistically speaking, I'm sure there somebody was died of high chance of high probability of something happening. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we get a, a really silly looking shark attack here. Um, this was actually a scene that was missing from the version of the movie that I saw throughout my childhood. Cause oh, really? I think the one I, I think the one that I saw was recorded from television with the commercials cut out. Oh. And, uh, I think somebody fucked up the, the the start and stop time and like missed a few minutes of the movie. Gotcha. So I, I never actually saw this scene um, when the shark attacks them. Um, but I, it was in the uh, the Michael Caine remake, I think, for TV, which thoroughly disappointing. Although the the stingray attack on the, the manta ray attack on the Nautilus was actually kind of traumatic for me as a young person. Um, I didn't like the way the people died in that scene. My brother and I we had Predator taped off of TV, and I didn't really realize yeah. it. Uh, when we were watching it, we were little. So when I was adult, I rewatched it, and I'm like, "Holy shit! I missed a lot of violence in this yeah. movie." I'm guessing you missed an arm being removed from somebody. I and, missed uh, a lot. The, you know, gov- governor of Minnesota uh, having chest. their chest exploding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. missed that. I, I had that for uh, Batman Returns. Uh, there was oh. a lot of violence missing from the version of the movie that I saw. That when I saw it for real, I was like, "Oh, fuck! <laughs> no wonder, no wonder!" Like the producers were really nervous about this one. Um, but yeah, uh, shark attacks, and at first it seems like there's danger, but then Nemo like effortlessly shoots the shark down with some sort of gun. We don't really know the nature of it, but he he caps the shark and it swims off. It's no big deal. But then we get back on board, and. Uh, Ned is throwing a hissy fit because he's trying to explain that, oh, man, I found this giant treasure chest. Like, we should have brought it back. It would have been awesome. And Nemo's just kind of rolling his eyes, and he's like, dude, I got it. (laughs) And he kicks open the door behind him, and there's an entire closet full of treasures, like sparkly, shiny, golden treasures. It looks like Scrooge McDuck's closet. Yeah. And Ned's like, oh, well, fuck. (laughs) So it's like, I know where I'm going when you guys are asleep. (laughs) But I did like that Nemo like tries to explain to him that like the the greatest treasures lie in a sound mind and a full belly. So he's trying to espouse this idea that you know living a good life and you know not starving is way more important than having material goods and like wealth and stuff. But mm-hmm. this is also the man who has you know the most advanced piece of technology on on the planet right now and is sailing around blowing up ships yeah rich people so he's you, doing all right yeah rich people you don't get to tell poor people like oh you, you know what money doesn't buy happiness like you know, like yeah you up. probably should not do that <laughs> medical bills motherfucker money is happiness not me personally sad, i'm just sad. saying no i mean it, it helps it fixes almost everything if you have enough of it <laughs> um anyway uh ned still wants to escape um probably more so now that he you know just got called out in front of a group of dudes many times over (laughs) probably hurt his pride a little bit um but he tries he tries to get the professor and peter Lorre to rally behind him and the professor's like asking him to like hold your horses i think i can win nemo over and this is where ned kind of like makes it known that he's maybe more clever than he lets on because mm-hmm. he's like pointing out this like nemo's cracked <laughs> like like i don't know what you've been seeing but i see a guy who's really fucked in the brain and has has a lot of weaponry and a lot of like 
bloodthirsty people working under him. I don't yeah. like this. Um, I like the expression he gives Peter Lorre too. He's, he uses the phrase, don't look at me with those soft-boiled eggs, as in like doe eyes. He's like, I didn't catch that. he's like, don't look at me with those soft-boiled eyes. <laughs> um, but then we get a scene where the, there is a storm on the surface of the ocean. Um, but then the camera tilts down and there's calm waters beneath. So the Nautilus is not affected by any of the storm up on the surface. And I think they're trying to tell us a little something here where it's like two different worlds, kind of. Like the undersea world and the land world. Mm-hmm. Um, and Nemo plays his organ for the first time in the movie. That's yeah, pretty fucking cool. Uh, James Mason, I don't know if he plays the piano in real I, life, but his it looks pretty genuine. I think honest. he I think he does. Um, yeah, Ned in the meantime while the while the organ music is playing over several shots of uh, showing us what everybody's up to while this is happening. He's fashioning a ukulele from a turtle shell and what appears to be like the spine of a sea turtle or something. Yeah. Yeah, again, stuff you probably couldn't put in a movie in 2020. <laughs> um, but Ned goes out to, uh, he, he goes to, like, snoop the, the treasure stash, uh, the closet that Nemo had showed us earlier. And uh, Esme the Seal kind of, like, narks on him a bit. It's <laughs> so, like yeah. it runs out and, like, bugs him while he's fiddling around in there. Arr, then... arr, arr. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's so adorable. She's very cute. Yeah, she does some stuff later that's absolutely adorable. But, um... He has a moment here where he have to he has to like pretend that like oh I, I totally wasn't looking at the treasure closet <laughs> like I was I was uh, playing a song for the seal and the fucking gray shirted motherfucker catches him in the act <laughs> nothing really comes of it but this is where the movie becomes very episodic like we kind of just have stuff happen I very, literally m- most of it's inconsequential I literally wrapped this up as such and so forth and so on because it's just my, my it's like ship sinking professor and conceal ned and conceal map and seal messages and bottles uh like <laughs> like cause once they get they, they do some land stuff and then it's just yeah. kind of like and after that it just kind of like i guess like i said this is very episodic where just we get stuff that either you're into it or you're not but it's mostly inconsequential some of the more important points though i'll just point out um nemo shows uh the professor the engine room which is heavily implied to be nuclear. Yeah. Um, uh, basically, when he shows him the reactor, he has to put a lead shield on. So it's like, in 1954, I'm pretty sure most people had an idea of what that represents. It's never actually spoken on camera, but you get it. You get it. Uh, then we take the skiff from uh, from the surface. Uh, so the Nautilus has a skiff. Uh, we take that out to an island, and we see a slave encampment, um, and Nemo has some bitter words about it. And... I noted um, this actually really confused me as a kid, and I think I at some point I looked it up, not recently, but a while ago. Um, he uses a phrase, that hated nation, um, many times in this film. Um, and I, for whatever reason, it's supposed to be the British Empire, uh, okay. but for whatever reason in this movie, they don't let him say that. Um, I don't know why. Maybe political reasons or something, but every time he should be saying the British Empire or the British, he always says that hated nation. Yeah. It's very interesting. I, I I don't know exactly why that is, but I remember that phrase was very puzzling for me when I was young. I was like, what? what? Okay. <laughs> um, anyway, the slave encampment, like Nemo mentions that uh, he was formerly a resident there, 
and so this is starting to lay the groundwork for like why he is the way he is um and he also makes mention of a an island called Volcania, which is which is a his, little cheesy. His Bond villain island, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's exactly what it is. Um, the island of Volcania, where he built the Nautilus, and uh, he alludes to the fact that whenever his mission is completed, which for now just seems to be blowing up ships, yeah. um, uh, they'll return the Nautilus to Volcania, um, presumably to to scuttle it or something, um, and then. We hang out around this island because I guess the plan is there's a ship at the slave encampment that's being loaded with black powder and, and other implements of war that Nemo intends to sink. So they're just like hanging out waiting for it to leave port so they can blow it up. Um, and we get a really intense sequence here where uh, I, I thought you might like this sequence actually because the, the lighting and the use of colored lighting in particular is very impressionistic. Mm. There's a lot of like blues and reds and close-ups of eyes and things of that nature um it's kind of out of character for the rest of the movie and honestly uh, it's i don't know the rest of the movie is kind of like basic in terms of cinematography but this was very like kind of artsy in some ways but basically we cut back and forth like from like nemo playing his organ and he's putting all his all into playing this organ like he looks very violent and strained while he's playing it um and then we get a, a one we get a very lovely matte shot of a it's like a matte painting of a sunset and and the nautilus in the foreground just kind of floating on the surface waiting for the ship to leave port and uh, nemo orders the nautilus to charge at the ship as soon as it leaves port um again we get some really awesome colored lighting here on his face that makes him look like a, a monster like a, a dibbuk or something <laughs> um and then uh yeah nautilus crashes into the ship and uh, it, i think it like passes under like on the underside of it so the the spinal column of the nautilus like slits open its underbelly and then kaboom uh ship goes goes down and it explodes and uh <laughs> i noted here nemo walks into the room after the, after the explosion of the ship on the surface um he walks into the room where the professor and uh, peter laurie are hanging out and he looks like he just just his pants it's mm. <laughs> <So>, like <laughs> Yeah, he's he's wearing his captain outfit and he's like doing a slow walk and he's like very upright and it's like I don't want my underpants to make contact with my pants. There is a stain and if I keep it together people won't be able to see. Do you have a paper towel? <laughs> Does anyone have a moisty nap? <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, Nemo walks into the room and he like goes on a little bit of a tirade here he's like trying to explain that like he has a lot of vengeance in his heart and he needs the professor to understand this professor's like you know kind of wishy-washy about it he does he's like trying to pull him to his size pull him pull him to his side i think he just has a a bit i think he just has a crush on him i think the professor's just like yeah he's got a great voice and uh he's good to look at but i don't really agree with his politics I, i mean there's nothing else for him to hold on to. He's like, hey, how could you possibly be at all persuaded by him? Like, there's no reason for him to be persuaded. That's why I was like, I, the, the professor character was kind of frustrating. So I'm like, he's giving you no good reason. He's just like, I'm bitchy and I'm upset and I'm going to destroy ships. And the professor's like, well, you know, he does make a good point, you know? I'm like, no, no, he doesn't. He doesn't make a good fucking point. What the fuck's wrong with you? He's just handsome. You got to snap like, out of it, dude. 
they allude to the fact that the press the professor's kind of like i don't know entranced or he's swept up in in the science mm-hmm. like like just the machinery like just the just the concept of a submarine boat means so much to him and like seeing how it works and what it can do for the rest of the world because by the end of the movie that's his that's his major debate with himself is like nemo's crazy but his invention i could change everything could change the whole world um not just for submarine boats but just like uh energy and whatnot because i mean i didn't mention it actually i wrote it in my notes i forgot to mention it but one of the things that uh peter Lorre mentions when they first get onto the nautilus is uh about the lighting He's like, oh, it's, it's as bright as day. <laughs> it's, it's as bright as day in here. Um, and no oil. <laughs> it's like, there's no oil or anything like that. So the way he talks about it, it's as if they don't have electricity even. So to, to jump ahead to nuclear power? Holy shit. <laughs> um, but yeah, Nemo has a, has a line here about, um, he asked the professor, like, do you understand love? And it's like, well, I need to understand that hate can fi- it can fill the heart as surely as love can and so basically he's making it known to the professor that he's his fuel is hate right now um and he's he's thriving off of it um and this is around the time that uh, peter Lorre starts to actually do stuff <laughs> <laughs> this is maybe the only time in the movie he does stuff so uh, during all the commotion so after we collided with the ship um I didn't notice this as a kid, but um, every time we have a collision in this movie, repairs need to be made to the Nautilus. Mm-hmm. So this is, it, it's almost like a, there's a chance of like damaging the ship beyond repair every time they do this. So it, it does a lot to demonstrate like the utter insanity of the, of this operation. Um, but during the commotion, uh, the professor's notes got scattered on the floor and Peter Lorre's cleaning them up. And uh, he sees mention of an island called Volcania in them. Um, and he and the professor have a disagreement at this point. Um, and Peter Lorre kind of like stomps off in a huff. He's kind of catty here. <laughs> he, call, he calls the professor Nemo at one point intentionally just to like kind of hammer home the point that I don't agree with your sentiments anymore. And then he like walks directly across the hall into Ned's cabin where, of course, Kirk Douglas needs to take his shirt off at some point because he's Kirk fucking Douglas. Yeah. And he's doing all right in 1954. <laughs> um, um, and so Peter Lorre decides to, like, hang out with him and, like, hear hear his side of the argument. And uh, uh, Ned has a funny line here about, yeah, I got a plan. The trouble is it won't work. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well, it's not much of a plan now, isn't it? <laughs> um, and the, the major problem here, though, is that Ned doesn't know how they navigate the ship. I mean, he's a sailor by trade. He probably has an idea of how that works. Not in a submarine, though. And uh, fortunately, though, because those notes were scattered on the floor, Peter Lorre knows they're headed to some location called Volcania. So they have something to work from now. Um, And then we have a fun little farcical moment where it's almost reminded me of, like, an episode of Frasier. (laughs) Like, Ned is trying to, like, snoop on the navigation charts while Peter Lorre is uh, keeping watch. And we keep cutting back and forth between him and the gray-shirted motherfucker <laughs> walking up and down the, the halls of the submarine. Like It's like, oh, is he going to walk in on them? He's not. Um, <laughs> but I did like the, the scene where they have to, like, they're, like, trying to find ways to distract Esme the, sh- the seal. 
and they like handed a cigar at one point and it just eats it <laughs> like, like you would expect it like they would like put it in its mouth and it just goes, oh <laughs> but um at this point we get the the thing that you mentioned where uh the plan at this point is kirk douglas wants to put a bunch of messages in bottles and toss them out into the ocean and hope for the best um get up we get a a uh, usage of one of goofy's like audio clips um when he swallows a fish on accident because he, he's harvesting the booze from mm. from these like specimen bottles and we get that <laughs> noise that goofy makes occasionally in disney movies and uh yeah, it's a fun little bit. We get a reprise of the Whale of a Tail song in the form of some hubbing. Um, and then we arrive in New Guinea, Kyle. Do you remember the sequence? Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was, I mean... Problematic? <laughs> yeah, because he, like, he, he tosses the messages in the bottles like overboard. And then we get to dry land. And he, um, I feel like this was like filmed in Hawaii or something. I'm not sure where they... Mm, yeah i wouldn't be surprised at all um but he and the he and um peter laurie are like um on this island together and peter laurie's just kind of walking on the beach and uh ned goes in and uh he's going to get a drink of water and he like like parts the water a little bit goes to get a drink but then he looks up and he sees a whole bunch of skulls and shit uh i don't know what the purpose of this whole sequence is but yeah he he sees the skulls and then um he realizes that there's a whole tribe of people uh, coming after him. Uh, he takes off running, but Peter Lorre has already gotten wise to the situation. Has already got the boat uh, headed back to the Nautilus. Um, mm. But yeah, he he jumps into the boat and he goes to row and he just completely slips. Did you notice that? <laughs> I did. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but these tribesmen are like in route. Like they're not fucking around. Like they come Dude, out. These with, guys can fucking paddle. They. <laughs> Well, it's just like Kirk Douglas like paddling, but they pull out like five or six of these boats, and there's like four, like there's like eight dudes to each boat, just vroom, vroom, like a Viking. They're, they're fucking flying. They're man. flying after them. <laughs> um, but Peter Laurie and uh, Ned make it to the uh, to the Nautilus, and they get in there, and this is where I was like, okay, just this guy's the worst. The Captain Nemo's just down there. And like, we gotta get out of here. He's like, don't tell me what to do on my own boat. Like, he's like, dude, there's a bunch of dudes coming. Like, they're on the boat. And he's like, mm, I don't really care. I'm like, what are what? What are you gonna do? Like, what what are you possibly waiting for? Um, one of them chucks a spear. <laughs> I feel like wouldn't spear chuck or somebody's name on Mash? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Eesh. Um, I think it was like Jones or something. Um, but yeah, somebody ch- like chucks a spear down yeah. there. And yeah, then... it needs to be noted the, the only people of any sort of color in this movie are featured in the scene. Yeah, um, this was a thing in Hollywood at the time. It's like mm. you know, we need some restless natives. It's like mm, okay, okay. <laughs> it's like yeah. don't let them talk though. They're not ready for that. It's like, god damn it. They can't <laughs> even be on Dis- se- even the Disney Corporation. <laughs> they can't be on set as the same time as anybody else. But we're gonna have them in the film. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I don't yeah. want to know what the the pay scale was. <laughs> like I'm sure it was awful. Pay? <clears throat> yeah, pay. You got paid. <laughs> <laughs> There's a funny bit uh, that Kate McKinnon does on Saturday Night Live. I don't like Saturday Night Live anymore, but uh, she has this reoccurring character. She's played a few times, like old Hollywood actress, like like way back in the day, and she's like on a panel with all these young actresses, and they're all like. 
yeah, it's just, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's hard because we don't get paid as much as men. And she's like, you guys get paid? Like, <laughs> she's just like, like, she's just talking about like all the, like, it's funny, but it's like all the horrible conditions that they had actresses in. Just learn anything about an Alfred, Alfred Hitchcock movie, but basically it's along those lines. It's um, like, what's that hole in the wall in my trailer? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, this is to set up for... I mean, this doesn't even come back. I thought it was actually going to come back up, but it doesn't. Uh, I'll I'll tell you right now what the reason for this scene is, and it's not a good one. I, uh, it's okay, but there could you could have done it a different way. But remember, this is an adventure movie. It's supposed the the score and the number of bodies moving in the shots in this scene. It does have an energy to it that mm-hmm. it's it's fun for a little kid if you don't read into it. Yeah. Um and and the idea is this is an island inhabited by cannibals. We're we're warned of that before we get to the island. So if we don't see any cannibals, we're going to be disappointed. So yeah. obviously we need to have cannibals. Um but the whole reason for this scene is um when they're electrocuted. Yeah, that's what I was saying, but it doesn't come up again. It does, actually. When? Um it does when the squid attacks. Um briefly. I didn't even record. I didn't even see that. Well, I'll I'll point it out to you when we get there. But um, I did like that uh, some of the arrows they're flinging by um, Peter Lorre and Kirk Douglas when they're rowing away from the natives, uh, they're hand animated, mm-hmm. <laughs> so they're like rotoscoped into the shot, kind of, yeah. or not even rotoscoped. They're just like literally drawn onto the frames of the film. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the whole reason for this scene is so Nemo can demonstrate that the surface of the Nautilus is protected by an electrical current, like a defense system. And uh, we get to see all the natives, like, shocked through their feet and their hands, and they, like, do, you know, the the itchy powder dance. <laughs> like, yeah. um, they got the jock itch dance, and then they all jump off the Nautilus and flee back to the island. Um, it is kind of weird that uh, both Nemo and, like, Ned Land are both having, like, a sadistic good laugh over yeah. this. It's like, dude, you are electrocuting those people. <laughs> but they're just like, ha, yeah. good times. What we didn't mention was that the entire reason we stopped in New Guinea wasn't by choice, actually. Um, the reason we stopped is because we ran aground because we had a faulty rudder, rudder, which caused us to run to some rocks just below the surface, and the Nautilus was held up, and uh, so we had to wait until the tide pushed pushed us out. Um, so now that the cannibals are taken care of, though, a warship arrives, so it's one problem after another, I guess, yeah. um, which is the rest of this film, to be honest. Um, so this warship starts shooting at the Nautilus, and uh, we do manage to escape. However, we do take some hits, um, and we do get like a hole punctured in the hole of the Nautilus. Uh, so we get some flooding here, because it wouldn't be a submarine movie without flooding. <laughs> like honestly, I think it's a law. You can't have a submarine movie without flooding. Yeah, without flooding. Yeah, and we start sinking. We do break free of the rocks, like I said, and uh, we get actually like a there's like just this one shot in the movie that's a really neat tracking shot of just a miscellaneous crew member running away from like some water rushing after him and him shutting a pressure door behind him it's actually really intense and really cool looking but it's the like the only one of its kind in the entire movie it's like Mm. where was where was this the rest of the movie um but the engine room gets flooded and the engines come to a halt and all the lights go out and we get uh, a cool sequence where everything is lit in like deep blues and it kind of reminded me of a uh, uh john carpenter's the thing a little bit mm. like i for, like i sometimes forget how blue and how red that movie is 
Like there's a lot of pinks, like pink flare lighting. Mm-hmm. And then in between that, there's a lot of like deep blues. It's really cool looking. Um, but yeah, everything's bathed in blue for the enti- the duration of the sequence. Um, and Ned is like thrown into a, a, some sort of holding. <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but um, as soon as he's he's locked away in this, this chamber, um, he runs up to the door and he starts banging on it. And he has a line here, let me out of this glory hole. <laughs> it's like, oh, word choice. <laughs> like, Ned. No, 1954. It was a different time. Um, but yeah, uh, we are sinking fast and we need to fix the engines and, uh, we get to see Nemo and that gray shirted motherfucker, the, the first mate, uh, spring into action and attend to the engine. And this is kind of a neat sequence where there's not a whole lot of dialogue other than like really basic procedural stuff. We just get to sit back and watch like a bunch of men that are being sprayed with flooding water, uh, work to repair this engine. And, uh, Eventually, we do, you know, fix the engine and whatnot. We start ascending, and uh, Nemo remarks that we're, we're now deeper than any man has ever been before. Um, and I guess that's where the title comes from, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Um, and we get this cool shot that this is this is the part, like, from here on out is, like, the part of the movie that probably was the reason I loved it so much as a kid. And, of course, it's the giant squid. Um <laughs> So we get this really extended, long, quiet shot of the Nautilus model, like, underwater. And nothing happens. It's totally quiet. But then, like, in the foreground, this squid, (laughs) like, rears up in front of the camera. And the music goes, (laughs) It's like, oh, my God. Be excited. Something's happening. And, uh, yeah, a giant squid uh, prop, (laughs) obviously. I love the look of it. Like it's it's obviously a rubber squid puppet, but even the miniature version of it, I think it looks kind of cool. Yeah, it looks like, good. I like that it has like interior lights, so like it has some sort of bioluminescence coming out of its eyes. Like it rushes at the Nautilus and it latches onto the the rudder, and uh, this is where the uh, the electric shock contraption comes into play. Um, so basically. Like ten minutes earlier, we got to see Nemo ca- casually shock a bunch of ca- uh, cannibals on the surface of the Nautilus. So he demonstrated they had that tool at their disposal. Uh, they try the same trick, um, but the de- the the device actually explodes. Like it bursts into flames and burns out, um, and it it like injures the squid, but it doesn't deter its attack. Um, so I think that's the entire point of the cannibal sequence is just to demonstrate that we have that tool at our disposal, but guess what? It wasn't good enough. Um, but the squid just will not let go. It grabs onto a different part of the the, the, sh- the vessel. Um, and then Nemo makes the announcement that's like, okay, we're going to surface and we're going to fight this motherfucker. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> it's like, we're going to do what now? <laughs> um, but what did you think of this scene, Kyle? This was good. I mean, it... It took ninety, like over ninety minutes to get to this one scene, uh, <laughs> and it's the best part of the film, honestly. Uh, the most tenacious of all sea beasts. <laughs> yeah, it looks like fucking chaos. Like it's it's a chaotic scene, and it's it's really well done. It looks super dangerous to do, um, but you've got like while this is happening, um, Kirk Douglas is like or Ned's just trying to get out. Like he gets out of the the flooding space, and then he gets into like a, it looked like it was all steamy in the second space that he gets into but basically while they're all like fighting um the squid out there he's escaping because he's the one 
spoiler alert, he's the one that gets the kill shot, obviously. I think it was probably in his contract. He's like, I'm the one that kills the squid. It, it has to be. <laughs> I mean, his first line in the movie, I'm Ned Land. I'm a harpooner. Yeah. <laughs> um, and ne- Nemo, is, he's really fighting this thing, too. Uh, they've got axes and spears and all kinds of stuff. I'm surprised we didn't get any chopping off of tentacles. Um, There's only one, and it's it's downplayed to the point that when I saw it on VHS, I never even noticed it. I was getting a kind of a... It wasn't like uh, War of the Worlds, um, but you've seen the original War of the Worlds, right? Yeah, yeah. Where the the UFOs are coming in, and you can just like, you just see the string on the on the toy, like just being dangled. So when the tentacles, they have like a shot of the tentacle coming in to the boat, and it's just like, it looks pretty good at first, but then you just see it's like, oh, it's just like, just kind of moving back and forth like a like a ceiling fixture or something like that. And I'm like, oh, it's kind of silly. <laughs> they they but, ran out of railing up on the ceiling. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> but the craftsmanship is really good, and I really do like the shots of it outside on there. Like, that's it's noteworthy. Yeah, um, so fun fact. I didn't even know this until, uh, like, a few minutes before we started recording. Um, I did some fast research. Apparently, this scene was uh, shot twice. No kidding. Um, and I've seen evidence of it because... Um, <laughs> I'll have to show you. I actually had a phase where I was making fake Magic the Gathering cards because um, I found a software that allows you to do that. It has like a template, and I do would you, do the Photoshop work for the images myself. Do you play Magic? Uh, when I was a kid. Oh, okay. Not anymore. Not nearly. Okay. Um, I, I didn't think so. It's still really popular worldwide, but no, I, I yeah, haven't touched not going it since anywhere. the 90s. Um, but... Anyway, um, when I was looking up images I wanted to use, because I actually made a Ned Land card for <laughs> Magic the Gathering. Oh, nice. Um, uh, when I was looking for images, um, I found a behind-the-scenes photo of the squid attack um, taking place during the day uh, on calm waters. No. And I guess that was how it was originally conceived and shot, and it just didn't play. No. So they reshot it. This entire sequence was reshot with the the storm the gale yeah and uh it's so much better because of it uh, it's yeah. um apparently one of the most complicated special effects sequences in the movie i think they said like 400 people or something were involved in the production of it it's really good like it's i it, mean the storm is legit like it looks like it was awful to be on that set yeah no it looked that's what i'm saying it looks super dangerous this look legit yeah and the the puppetry is it's a good prop like yeah. the squid looks i mean the the choreography and like the the movement of its tentacles aren't exactly graceful. But what are you gonna do? The look of it, like I love the look of the beak. It's menacing. It looks like articulated and gooey in just the right fashion. Where it's like that looks like an animal. That yeah. doesn't exactly look like a rubbery prop. It could have been a lot um, worse, John. A lot. Worse. A lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Nemo goes toe to toe with the squid. Um, to the extent that he he gets a harpoon in there, and yeah. he does make it known to both his crew and the audience that the only weak point is directly between the eyes. So he throws a harpoon in there, and uh, the music tells us that that probably did something, but it's not dead yet. Um, but he keeps getting hung up in the in the tentacles, and uh, the first mate tries to wrestle him free, but it doesn't exactly work out. And we get this really dramatic moment where uh, Nemo is being dragged directly towards the beak of the of the great beast and it's like snapping at him it's like oh fuck that beak is like half as big as he is yeah (laughs) that's not good (laughs) um but then uh ned gets his triumphant moment but right before he does um i really like that uh 
one of the sailors gets tossed back into the Nautilus. And Ned, what's really curious about the staging of the scene is you're right. Ned is escaping. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. He doesn't even know what's happening. No. So when he gets when he gets to the main deck of the Nautilus, like he finds the sailor collapsed with like suction cup bruises on his face, and he's like, "What the hell happened?" <laughs> In a tin cloverfield lane, like, she's getting <laughs> away from John Goodman, like fucking aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Are you fucking serious? Are you fucking serious right now. <laughs> um. But yeah, he he sees this downed sailor and he immediately just runs up to the surface in the middle of this fucking storm and sees a giant fucking squid, which... Oh, shit! <laughs> I mean, to this day, we're, you know, how many examples of actual giant squids have has all of humanity seen? No. So, like, but he looks at it and he doesn't bat an eye. He's just like, well, I better kill that. <laughs> so, like, so he picks up a harpoon, he strikes a badass pose, he spears the fucker, uh, and it... it Let's go of the ship, starts sinking, and he dives off the bow and actually fishes Nemo out of the sea. Nope. Wouldn't do that. He's even conflicted uh, about it later. He's, he's, yeah, he's a little bit conflicted about it. Nope. Um, so we cut to the aftermath, and everybody's coming back into the Nautilus. We did lose a few guys, maybe even in real life. Um, um, and Nemo actually confronts Ned about this. He's like... You saved me. You're saying why? <laughs> Do you think that like uh, being a stuntman in like early Hollywood films was kind of like being a uh, like a, a spy? It's like you're gonna do this, and if everything goes well, your name will be in the credits. If everything goes bad and you die, no one will know you existed. <laughs> like they have to sign a contract, basically saying like, if you die on this production, we're not gonna tell anybody. I wouldn't be surprised. I think across the board stunt guys just kind of like i think they were all cowboys to some extent yeah they all smoked they were all brad they were all brad pitt in uh uh once upon a time in hollywood yeah and i'm just picturing like a director coming around behind the set like behind the backdrop of the set and be like all right need a guy to crash through a building today it's like right here (laughs) like you got you got you have to learn how to flick a cigarette so you can get up and like every brush yourself off and be like, right here, boss. Every stuntman <laughs> had like non-filtered cigarettes and a flask. Like just, yeah, that's breakfast. Yeah, <laughs> it's like when I respond, <laughs> you gotta wait a minute. <laughs> it's, like, it's paced out. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I did like Kirk. Doug- Speaking of booze, um, Kirk Douglas mentions here when asked about why he saved Nemo, he's like, "There's only one thing a fellow can do when he's made a mistake as big as this." Get drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and he storms off. And uh, he gets thoroughly boozed. But and he's drinking and singing with Esme. It's ador- <laughs> it's ador- it's an adorable scene. They're like uh, I love when Esme kisses him on the cheek and he's like, Your whiskers You're tickled. tickled. Yeah. It's cute. <laughs> like it, for me, like I hate I hate movies about animals like Airbud, Andre, Free Willy. Like I fucking hate those movies. What and is I, Andre? Andre is about a seal. Um, the little oh, girl, fuck. the little girl, or the, the Napoleon Dynamite girl. Uh, it's what it was. Her first movie, I think, was Andre. Um, it's not good, it, <laughs> but I I don't like it when the movie's centered like Homeward Bound, which is I guess you can give that a little bit of a pass because it's got voiceover, but still. Um, but I also don't really care for. There was no reason for that animal to really be here in movies. Not like The Edge, where it's a movie about getting away from a grizzly. 
this is just like the seal's just here, but the seal's cute, so it's okay. But all I can see when the seal's on screen is I'm like, there's a, a trainer behind the camera, like over on the side, like doing all the stuff, and it kind of takes me out of it, but... He, it is cute. He keeps. They don't pet him. He just slaps him. Did you notice that? He keeps just slapping yeah. him on the head. <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny because uh, everybody slaps Esme, mm-hmm. like, even Captain Nemo. It's like clap, clap, because they're Esme's wet in every scene, so yeah. it makes that leathery clapping noise. But um, on top of that, um, Kirk Douglas has this thing that I want to say was improvised. It seems like a Kirk Douglas move. Um, whenever he's having exchanges with Peter Lorre, he he runs his hand across his head yeah and he he like messes his hair yeah and it's really cute because uh every time he does that peter lorry like um as soon as kirk douglas steps out of the frame he'll like readjust his hair yeah and the soundtrack actually plays into it where it goes like Lip, loop. <laughs> well i think kirk i mean kirk douglas was only five nine like he was like your height and wow really yeah, yeah i was like he's pretty short um and so he's like not towering over Peter Lorre, but he's a little bit taller than him. Yeah, no, but I mean, to the extent that you would, you never expect him to be only five nine. Um, I mean, you put Liam Neeson in the room with him, uh, you got problems. Yeah. <laughs> it's like there's going to be a height discrepancy. Um, but yeah, he is getting boozed with Esme, and uh, Esme has a cute moment where she wraps herself in her blanket. Yeah, it's, it's so cute. Yeah, yeah, it's just <laughs> Um, animals. And then, we, then after that needlessly silly and saccharine moment, uh, we get uh, Captain Nemo and the professor again kind of going back and forth. Um, professor tries to reason with him and, and basically explain that, like, I think you're full of shit. Like, what he says to him is, you are a beaten man at war with the dictates of his heart. So basically, he's kind of telling him that it's like, the feeling that you keep saying is driving you, I think you're actually just telling yourself over and yeah. over again that that you are that when in actuality you've probably moved past it you're just too stubborn to admit it mm-hmm. um but nemo of course is utterly resistant and won't 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 acquiesce um and nemo makes it known that like he actually intended to use the professor as an emissary for for the knowledge and the science that he's engineered himself that he invented um but he also says that like the time isn't right and this this is this plays into the end of the movie basically is that he has this wonderful boon to share with the rest of the world he just doesn't feel that the world has earned it yet because his view of humanity is so dim um anyway uh we jump to volcania um and just so happens that hey guess what those those messages and bottles that Ned had tossed out, somebody got them. <laughs> uh, go figure. And there are warships circling the island. And uh, we dive into an undersea cave to gain entrance to the lagoon in the center of the island. And uh, I really love the the set, the underwater set, like the subterranean cavern. Mm-hmm. And uh, the lagoon has a matte painting to represent it that looks absolutely wonderful. Um, and the island's facility looks pretty amazing too again it's represented by a matte painting and like a very small backdrop set that uh, captain nemo negotiates um but yeah uh we we park the nautilus in the center of the lagoon and captain nemo takes the skiff out to this facility and we're not entirely sure what he's doing although it becomes very clear very quickly um he's planning to scuttle the facility because he doesn't want the people assaulting the island to gain access to 
his wonders, his technology. Yeah. Um, Ned tries to signal all the soldiers that are running down the, the, the hill um, towards the center of the island, but they start shooting at him. Um, he finds an excuse to get his shirt off again, so good for him. Um, professor's pretty steamed about this, by the way. And uh, this was a scene that really like stuck with me. Like, um, this was this was a cinematic death that always really resonated with me on some level. Really? Uh, it's just the presentation of it. It's not any. It has nothing to do with like an attachment to the character. It's just the way it happens. If that uh, makes any sense. How it ends is good. I'll give you that. But it's a long. Like it takes him a long time to get to. Like it's. He walks the. It, the entirety of the novel the nautilus to get well, there I, I don't know i don't know how you were as a kid but for me um i've paid attention to the scores for movies my entire life no. like it's always it's been one of the main things that has drawn me to movies honestly like i mean any movie scored by john williams back in the day for for all of our childhoods like there's a, i think that's a huge reason why those movies resonate with so many of us so deeply it's like Star Wars wouldn't be Star Wars without John Williams' score. Same for, with Indiana Jones, same with Jaws. For me, the score is supposed to add to what's happening in the scene. I shouldn't I I shouldn't be able to pick it out because that's taking me out of the scene if I'm noticing hmm. it. That's that's just how I've always noticed it. And it doesn't it doesn't stick out to me unless it doesn't sound right or I'm not really into what's happening in the scene. I'm like, "Oh, at least the score is nice." For me, it's like it should just be I should be more in tune with what's happening in the scene because of it. It should, it should time, meld. The only times when it when it bothers me is licensed music. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think that's Keep cheating it out. sometimes. Keep it out, is, yes. Like, if you have a pop song or something that is, it triggers an instant emotion, it's like, to me, that's not fair. It's like, mm-hmm. what you're doing is you're making me like something for reasons that have nothing to do with the movie. It's just mm-hmm. because... It's an infectious beat or whatever, or a familiar song. Um, that that typically bothers me, although it certainly can be done well. Um, and also another thing that can bother me is like if the energy level of the music doesn't match what's happening on the screen. Yeah, uh, the Mandalorian. The worst offend- oh, really? The, yeah, the, I want you to watch The Mandalorian for that because I'm like, this doesn't match what's happening in the scene. Like, I don't get what the score is doing here. Okay, I'll pay attention to that. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, the worst offenders are the ones where like say it's an action movie or something and what you're seeing is actually not that spectacular but the score is going fucking ape shit mm-hmm. like try it's like trying to compensate for for the the lack of energy or the ingenuity on screen or whatever well i say i know your brother kind of wants to do like a triple threat where we discuss like movie scores and stuff like that and like i yeah. really had to beat my brains out like trying to think of something and what i had to do is i had to think back of scenes where there was like a heavy impact i'm like well, what was the score in there i'm like is that adding to it like is that mm. adding to what makes it interesting and i, I kind of had to pick from there i'm like yeah the score is is really helping me with this scene but to pick it out like it's really difficult hmm well i still think that's a good idea for an episode so we should you should keep thinking on that but anyway um long very long story short um the reason why this moment resonated with me is almost entirely the music so what we have is a situation where soldiers are running down a hill uh firing rifles at the the parked nautilus in the center of the lagoon Uh, nemo ducked into this facility to do something 
Um, but he very quickly came out and he got back in the skiff. Uh, they parked the skiff on the Nautilus. And then we cut back to him um, at the tail end of the Nautilus trying to make a break for for the hatch to gain entry to the vessel. And the, the music starts to ramp up here and gets very emotional. The strings are kind of going nuts here. Um, and all the while, like, bullets are zinging by him. And you can see him, like, taking cover behind portions of the Nautilus um, to avoid the bullets and whatnot. And the music crescendos perfectly in sync when, when he's struck with a bullet. And as a child, just the, the ramping up of the music and seeing this character, he's the only person in the center of the frame, by the way. All the other crew members have already evacuated and are inside safe. Uh, seeing him, like, get, like, one foot into the hatch and then get hit in the back, it's like, oh! And, like, the last note of this piece of the music is, like, someone banging all their fingers on a piano going, doom! And as a kid, it was like, oh, fuck, he almost made it but his expression james mason's acting here like he doesn't have a squib in him or anything like that it's a disney movie too like it's not like there's any effect it's just him like pausing and making a pained expression and then even the way he goes into the vessel he doesn't like fall in or make a big show of it he just like stiffens up and makes a pained face and then slowly walks in and the music tells you that it's like what just happened is fatal like and he knows it we know it and he's kind of resigned himself. He he knows it. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to... Now, now that I'm thinking about the score, I'm like, was there even music playing when Rufio got stabbed in Hook? Because that was a heavy death as a kid. Rufio getting killed. I don't remember... I don't think there's any music right there. I think it's just them sword fighting. I can't remember. I, I obviously remember the visuals of it. I remember when he gets stabbed. Um, I want to say there's a music cue. Well, because he goes, he does like... That's there, a, there was Kyle, music... That is a very noisy movie. <laughs> it is, but what I was, was going to say is like, there's music leading up to it, but then there's during that fight, he gets him down. He's like, looky, looky, I got hooky. And it's literally like three seconds after that. And it's just the noises of the swords, I think. So I don't even know if there's a, if there's a music cue during that part. Hmm. I mean, to... the way you're describing it sounds like Qui-Gon Jinn getting stabbed by Darth Maul. Mm. Where the only, the only score you have there is a shakaka. Yeah. <laughs> but i i'd have to take another look but i want to say there is music okay. playing over that sequence i could be wrong but fuck hook is a very obnoxiously loud movie, I love that movie. <laughs> uh i i love it but it's a good bad dustin hoffman dustin hoffman is wonderful in that uh, movie. yeah yeah um Smee. Shmee. Shmee. <laughs> Shmee. Bob Hoskins and apparently Dustin Hoffman and Bob Hoskins had an agreement on the set that they were going they were portraying themselves as a gay couple. Oh, and okay. Spielberg was getting pissed at them about it, but it <laughs> just played to the camera so perfectly that he was like, Fuck, whatever guys, you guys are amazing. Like it you have works. so much charisma. It totally works, yeah. It does. It's so entertaining. Yes. <laughs> but my god, that movie is so all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um I, I enjoy it, but I think somebody who was not of that era, like somebody watching it today for the first time, would probably be like, what the fuck is this? Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the the awesome sets and costumes? Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue the sets are a little stagey. Like the, the port, like the pirate port. Mm-hmm. Oh, that is for sure. Yeah. yeah. And I what's like up the with lo- eating, 
Why we gotta eat paint, man? <laughs> I like the Lost Boys. I like I like what I have in my mind about the Lost Boys like home is awesome. Like I love everything about that. I loved everything about that as a kid. I'm like, this is an extensive treehouse. It looks so fucking awesome. I want it so bad. Well, I I feel like that movie was slightly a victim of Home Alone. Like, Maybe. if not for the success of Home Alone, I think you would have gotten a very different movie. Mm. Like, a more subdued movie, in a lot of ways. And what's up with the... Was it Thud Bump? Thud Butt or whatever? Yeah, Thud Butt. Do you Ooh. remember your mother? <laughs> Do you remember your mother, Do you Peter? remember your mother? Yeah. <laughs> Did we watch Heavyweights last night? I had never seen that before. But that main... Like, that Italian fat kid or whatever. The kid from... Goldberg. Yeah. Dude, look at him now. I know. I know oh, it's sad. Buddy. It's sad. Yeah. But yeah, heavyweights was, heavyweights was a lot of fun. Oh, I love heavyweights. It's good I, stuff. I think that might be my favorite live action Disney movie right next to this one. Okay, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> Three months. Um, but yeah, N- Nemo is uh he he got he got shot. He's not doing well. He's got a nice um, wobbly walk. Yeah, um the we get some moody blue lighting as as the Nautilus goes into a dive here. Um, Nemo is in agony. Uh, there's a like a funereal tone to the to the score as a uh, Nemo insists on drive drunk fucking driving the Nautilus through this undersea cavern. He he hits some rocks. Uh, he is he's drunk. He should go home, but he should not he should not have his keys. Um, he needs an Uber. Um, but yeah, Nemo puts us into a dive and he says lash lash the wheel. Um, so I guess we're just gonna put it into a dive and uh, that's gonna be that. Um, the entire crew um, es- escorts him to his organ chamber, and uh, everybody's standing at attention, kind of like waiting for him to say what he's got to say here. And Nemo makes it known that uh, the plan uh, that wasn't clear until just now is to scuttle the Nautilus and all traces of it. So we're we're just going to go to the bottom of the ocean, and me and everyone on this vessel is going to die. Yeah, he he says uh, he's like the Nautilus is going to take its last dive. I'm like, wait, what the fuck? Like, you tell anybody <laughs> that this is gonna like that we're gonna do this, and his crew are just like, cool, yeah, it's totally right. Yeah, Kirk yeah, Douglas yeah, has that the, makes sense. Yeah, that yes, makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> Kirk Douglas is like, uh, fuck you, I don't want to go down like this. This is not what I'd want to do. Yeah, I'm Ned, way uh, too Ned handsome belts- to die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ned belts a dude here. Um, I think he caught him clean for real. <laughs> like, like, like the angle, I don't know what sort of like. Tucker, there was some camera trick. It, like <laughs> it looks like somebody's face got caved in by Kirk Douglas. <laughs> it's pretty great, but he gets hauled off and and like they try to lock him up. And uh, <sighs> Nemo's questioned by the professor uh, again about like, but what, but what about your invention? If it goes to the bottom of the ocean, then nobody will know about it anymore. And uh, James Mason, to his credit, he has a pretty good line here um, in regards to his reasoning as to why he won't share his work with other people. It's like, a power greater than mine makes that impossible. As in, like, you know, God or fate or or just the the what evil lies within the hearts of men. To quote the Shadow, <laughs> um, but th- this is where we get the fist fight between that motherfucker with the gray shirt yeah. and. Kirk Douglas, and this goes on and on. It's it's right up there with uh, they live. Uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper and Keith oh. David thrown down for five minutes. 
<laughs> it's very say, frustrating. <laughs> as far as choreography goes, it's just a little bit better than Sonny Corleone beating up his, uh, his sister. That is one of the, I don't understand why they kept that in there. It's one of the worst things I've ever seen. It's uh, so goddamn savage. It's so <laughs> bad. It's really not good. But Kirk Douglas does get like a straight up like, like it just misses it completely. Yeah. Like, yeah. Whiff. <laughs> I mean, it whiffs right by. <laughs> yeah, that was the style at the time. It's like all we all we did was bar brawling. Although, this is just me, you know, being me. Um, actually, one of the first, I think credited martial arts sequences in american cinema was uh frank sinatra (laughs) i think it was the manchurian candidate was one of the earliest instances of legit martial arts on screen i don't think i'm ever gonna watch a frank sinatra film i would um i i mean i'm sure you heard the story about die hard right yes i do know about that (laughs) i tried watching the original oceans 11 and good fucking luck with that dude yeah, I don't. I don't need that. I'm not even that big of a fan of the of the George Clooney one. Really? Um, oh, those eleven and thirteen are great. Yeah, twelve is bad. It's really <laughs> bad. Steven Soderbergh's one of those directors, though. That's like I don't give him enough credit because he makes good product. Um, like he's underappreciated. I can admit that. I'm just not as well versed in his filmography as I ought to be. Um, yeah, the first one definitely is very fun. I haven't seen thirteen though. Oh, you haven't seen thirteen? Dude, no. it might be the best one, honestly. Okay, I'll put that on my list. Um, but yeah, Ned subdues this this gray-shirted motherfucker. Um, <laughs> and uh, add, add another uh, add another bullet point to my list of things that white guys had to do in in an uh, action sequence back back in the day. So Three Musketeers introduced the concept of uh, white guys on uh, ropes. If there is a rope to be swung on, mm-hmm. there will be a white man that will grab hold of it and kick someone from it. Uh, this this movie though features Kirk Douglas making liberal use of handrails to kick off of. Um, so just if there is something to grab hold of and kick off of, white guys are, white guys are gonna find a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Life finds a way. White guys find a way. <laughs> um, anyway, long story short, uh, Kirk Douglas wins the fight. Um, he does not drown the guy. He pulls him out of the water. It doesn't fucking matter. This guy yeah. is so fucking dead. <laughs> um, um, but, yeah, Ned saves the professor and Peter Laurie. However, the professor tries to go back at, like as they're getting to the hatch, which, by the way, Ned um, redirects the Nautilus to the surface. Um, professor tries to duck back in because, I left my journal. <laughs> I left my journal. I must retrieve it. Um, Ned clocks him puts him to sleep and hauls him out of the nautilus because god god damn we ain't got time for that um and uh in the meantime captain nemo is drunk walking his way to his his uh cushy man his bed is pretty spectacular i gotta mm-hmm. say um he he walks up to the viewport that the professor was looking out of the very first time he got on the nautilus um and he opens the iris of the viewport and he dies staring out into the ocean and then he rolls over and just like he's not blinking anymore so we can assume nemo is dead um all of our heroes uh, the professor peter laurie and kirk douglas we all hop into uh, the skiff and we row away from from the nautilus oh by the way esme comes out to greet us and uh, <laughs> she hops in the boat too so of course the cute animal doesn't die um but yeah we row away from the island in the nautilus and kaboom island explodes it's heavily implied to be a nuclear explosion Although 1954, probably very difficult to 
render a even like borderline accurate visual representation of what that looked like um but yeah uh, it becomes clear that yeah if we had stayed on that nautilus we would be dead um and the professor kind of comes around he's like you know perhaps you did perhaps like me losing my journal was for the best ned and ned's like of course i'm ned i'm always right (laughs) um but yeah uh the very the closing shots of the movie are the nautilus um nose up in the in the ocean um sinking and uh, captain nemo narrating like repeating some of the lines you said earlier in the movie um in god's good time in regards to like the advancement of humanity it's like every amazing discovery or invention that i brought to the table you know someday someday the rest of humanity will be ready for it um but not today and then uh credits (laughs) or not even credits because this is an old-timey movie and we had credits up front (laughs) that's true um but yeah it ends on a somewhat hopeful note um but yeah that was twenty thousand leagues under the sea what did you think of it overall kyle uh boring (laughs) uh yeah sorry i'm gonna be honest with you it it's 90 minutes of jibber jabber and an occasional like oh kirk douglas oh that's it you just like quick kirk (laughs) douglas um but I, yeah, I can't stress enough the the giant squid sequence is excellent and totally worth watching. At least that part. Um, I didn't really the the characters like you could just remove the professor and Peter Laurie from this, and I mean it's just talking. Other than that, um, I did like Captain Nemo. Like he he's a frustrating character as far like he's an engaging frustrating character. Um, but yeah, overall, I don't think I'll revisit this one. But I'll probably end up watching the Squid Fight again at some point while I have Disney Plus. Just fast forwarding to that. Yeah, I mean that's basically what I did as a kid, to be honest. Like you know, I'd be like playing with my Transformers yeah. and Ninja Turtles or whatever, and then, and then I'd look up when when the Squid showed up, and then the rest of the time in the movie would just be on the background. Mm-hmm. But this was this was a really big deal for me when I was a kid. Like one of my dad's friends introduced it to me, and then I got really into it. So like I think we found a way to like bring it into the house at some point. Um, and yeah, like I'm I'm glad I had an excuse to share it with you. Uh, to me, you know, it's I I see all of the problems that you just indicated. Like I told you before we started recording, it's like you know it's been a long time since I've seen this movie. Watching it as an adult, yeah, it kind of drags ass in the middle for, yeah. sure, for sure um but i you know i could see myself coming back to it um more than likely though i think this is just going to be the kind of movie i'll only watch if i'm introducing it to people not mm. not for my own purposes if you know personal pleasure or whatever it's like no unless i unless i have somebody to share it with i probably won't bother with it um but yeah uh that that concludes our episode, I guess. But you have any idea what we're going to be doing for next week, Kyle? Well, I'd like to cover a Robin Williams movie, but we need to discuss off air which one we want to do because the one that's most recent, uh, I don't know if we'll make it a good episode. But uh, yeah, we'll, I think it's going to be a Robin Williams film. Okay. Well, Kyle's got the pick next week, so if you're into Kyle picks, uh, look forward <laughs> to that. <laughs> um, that being said, uh, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, tune in next time. Yep.